I met him 15 years ago. I, I was told there was nothing left, no reason, no uh, conscience, no understanding, and even the most rudimentary sense of life or death, of, of good or evil, right or wrong. I met this six-year-old child with this blank, pale, emotionless face and the blackest eyes, the devil's eyes. I spent eight years trying to reach him and then another seven trying to keep him locked up because I realized that what was living behind that boy's eyes was purely and simply evil. Welcome to Anything Goes, the best Geek and Pop Culture Show, broadcasting from Long Island, New York. I'm your host, Timothy Rooney, and we're back with a brand new episode of One Good Scare, our monthly chronological exploration of the Halloween franchise, and my co-host is already dying, and we haven't even gotten to a really bad, we, like, we, we're not doing Halloween Resurrection, like, if it, we were doing that, I understand why, like, you're- The closer we get, the more my body's going to betray me. Yeah, I, like, I'm just waiting for you to break out, like, a stigmata or something like that because yeah. of it. But no, we're not talking about that, and obviously I'm speaking with uh, Mr. Mike Wilson. Sorry, folks, I have been horribly sick for about the past week. Uh, I had 104.5 fever. Last Saturday, we're recording this on a Sunday, mm-hmm. so I've been on antibiotics for seven days, and I'm still just dying. Yeah. Uh, I'm recovering, though. Yes. We'll, we'll get there. I'm, I'm kind of alive, so if you hear me coughing, that's just know that's my body in preparation for Halloween Resurrection saying, no, I'm not doing this. Yes, but we're not talking about that. We're talking about Halloween H2O, Halloween 20 years later, Halloween water, you know, all that good stuff, but it's not diddly-daddly anymore. <laughs> Let's jump into our review of it right now. And so, um, your first uh, experiences with Halloween H2O. Well, this is the first one I can tell you that Blockbuster Video has absolutely nothing to do with. We have we have evolved past what? that. What? Yep. And pretty much a year after I first saw Halloween, this movie came out. Um, at the time, I can't recall if I had seen all the sequels by this point. I can't recall. Um, and I also can't even really recall the first time I even heard of it. It might have. It might have been when we. Uh, Rented a copy of Scream 2 from Blockbuster. So, all right, so Blockbuster does have something to do with it. I can't remember if it was a TV spot. It, it, it was probably that. They saw that. And I said to myself, oh, great, it's happening again. There's a new one, you know? Like, right when my fear is at its apex and just my, my inability to exist because of this fucking movie, the original Halloween that is, now they're going to make a new one, you know? It's the 20th anniversary. Jamie Lee Curtis is back. So I was, of course, freaking out. The more times it would show on TV, the more it would freak out. Um, at the time, the summer came out. It came out August 5th, I believe, 1998. That's two days before my birthday. So I'm sitting here thinking, oh, my God, it's falling on like two days before my birthday. I'm going to die. Michael Myers is coming to kill me. So that summer, that was back like a year or two after my mother had gotten married and we moved in with my stepfather. But I would go out and spend summers with my family. 
I would make my great aunt's poor dog stay in the room every night with me because I was fucking terrified. Really? Yes. I'm admitting this to you people now. And the poor I, he didn't want to be in there, that poor fucking dog. He wanted I, to be I out. don't blame him. I mean, I, I barely he wanted want to stay be in his rooms bed. with you. Yeah, thank you. You, mm-hmm. you do it by choice, so. I'm a, uh, well, I, I'm a glutton for punishment, that's she, why. She used to refer to her dog as the captive audience. <laughs> I can see that. And so, did you see that opening weekend? I actually did not see it until six months later on pay-per-view. Really? Because, for one thing, my mother didn't want me going to see it because she's like, ah, it'll just scare you even worse, you'll be even more freaked out, whatever. My stepbrother, to his credit, he went to go see it, and he actually did not spoil the ending for me. But he said, you definitely got to go see it. You definitely got to see it. Unfortunately, I did not go and see it. I wish I could have because I, I was at that age where, like, I could start defying my mother's wishes without her, you know, freaking out, losing her mind, and thinking I've gone off and joined, joined a drug gang, you know. <laughs> but I, I'm wishing I did. I did not see it until six months later. I remember we were over at my aunt and uncle's house. Now, for you folks at home that, you know, maybe younger – that know what pay-per-view is, that thing that you watch UFC and boxing on, it was also for brand new movies of the day. You know, we didn't have Redbox or, you know, Netflix. You need to have an internet connection, if I'm not mistaken, for some. No internet connection. It was okay. all done through your cable box. Okay. It was all done through, through Internet was brand new by then, and pay-per-view mm-hmm. had been around, for, pay-per-view had been around for, since, what, the 70s? What the hell am I thinking of? On demand? On demand, that's right. On demand. No, no, no. This was full on pay-per-view. Okay, this was, you were, you, re, you could, you know... Pay to watch movies the same way you could wrestling events, boxing events, concerts, whatever they had on. It was usually a hell of a lot cheaper. And movies that had recently been in theaters that were going to come out on home video, they would make it onto pay-per-view first. Make some more money. Yes. And back then, it could take anywhere from six months, like six to nine months for it to come out on pay-per-view and almost sometimes a year to come out on home video release. It wasn't like it is now where stuff comes out. It it wasn't like it is now. The window was much larger than it is now. It wasn't like it is now where Black Panther is coming out on Blu-ray the same week it's still in theaters, you know? Yeah. But that's also an anomaly of successful filmmaking. Right. I wouldn't want to say an anomaly. It's just a very successful film. But regardless, so it was on pay-per-view, and back then... You had these things called hot boxes, illegal cable boxes, yeah. illegal feeds where you could get pay-per-view channels for free. Um, thankfully, my uncles were big enablers throughout my puberty when it came to the Playboy channel and things like that and all the naked ladies. But we would watch movies all the time, and I'd go over to my aunt and uncles to watch the wrestling pay-per-views every month for free. Mm. And we were there, I think it was for a birthday, because I have two cousins that were both born in the month of January, and this was the house they lived at. And Halloween H2O had just come on. I actually caught it during the opening credits. I didn't even didn't get to see the uh, whole opening, which we will get to. Mm-hmm. So it started. I begged my mother to watch. So she said, all right, fine, we'll stay and watch. So we finally watched the whole thing. The ending, which, is it worth it to say spoilers right now? Or should we, the, the, ending, the satisfying ending of Halloween H2O was like the catharsis I needed to finally like sleep again. And yeah. I thought to myself, why did I wait this long? Why didn't I go see it in theaters? What so you were, so like, have you had nightmares about Michael Myers since? Really, that was when it kind of died down, and I felt like it also happened in conjunction with the fact that I was watching more and more horror movies and desensitizing the shit out of myself, right. as well as the Halloween sequels, which mm-hmm. you know got less and less scary progressively. Nice, and I have a kind of a similar experience. I, don't, I mean, I did not see this in theaters. I was too young. I was of 1998 coming out. Like I said, I was like I was 14. Yeah, I was. It came out two days before my 14th birthday. I was seven when it came out because I am a child. Mm-hmm. I am just an overgrown child. I've been Baby, this. stick yeah. your head in gravy. 
And so I wonder if anyone's ever actually done that and like Child Protective Services came and they had to write on the freaking thing, was reciting a stupid nursery rhyme and actually and stuck took their to child's it, head in gravy, took it washed it off with bubble gum and then actually mailed, bothered to mail it to the Navy. There's got to be, there has to be at least one Oh, story there's got to be some fucking horrible parent. I, I bet you it's from Florida, if I had to guess. Like, I guess. <laughs> like, like, it's like, how many crazy stories like Florida man did X, Y, and Z? So, no, no disrespect to anybody of our Florida listeners. Um, he hates all of you. No, no, I have, I have, I have several friends that live in Florida, so I can't, I can't bash them. I avoid them like the plague. <laughs> Thank you, Rodney. Um, I can bash them verbally, but physically, that's another story. <laughs> And I, I, I had seen Scream by this point. That, I think, was like my first like true blue horror movie I'd seen because I saw Terminator when I was very young. And the first Terminator is very much like a horror movie, much as it is a sci-fi action movie. I've had more dreams of being killed by the Terminator than Michael Myers, let's just say that. So yeah. it works as a good horror movie. And like, I think Terminator owes a lot to Halloween in terms of like the unstoppable killer and everything like that, which Halloween owns, owes it to Michael Crichton's Westworld, the movie, and so on and so forth. But... Um, which, which terrified me. And I remember seeing this. I remember this one precisely because it was like, like, I don't know if you want to watch this or not. And it was, this was the first Halloween I ever saw. Saw it on a home video. My sisters are watching me. Put the VHS on. And I have the pillow up into my, like, my cheekbones. And that's how I watched most of the movies. It's like bringing the pillow up into my eyes when I'm scared and then bring it down as low as my cheekbones. So, like, that's as far as I would allow it to happen. And the opening set piece. Um, dealing with Marion, the uh, uh, the nurse, the returning uh, actress from the for Halloween one and two, terrified me, and so I think ever since that moment I've been a, I've been a Halloween fan, and it was it's so interesting to look back on. I can't believe now it's officially twenty years old. This movie Halloween tw- the the twentieth anniversary of Halloween is twenty years old. Yeah, how does that make you feel, folks? <sighs> 1998 was 20 years ago. The 90s are over. Let it go. No, because it's about to be Let 30. It go. It's about to be 30 years because it goes. <coughs> nostalgia goes in 30-year cycles. So the 90s nostalgia is really going to come back super fucking hard. It, it already started. It, no, it, it's early. I mean, it, it did start the fire. That too. It was always burning since the world was turning. And so we didn't fart. Well, you lied. <laughs> and so. It's a little bit of an interesting history after the let's abortion that was Halloween six. Yes, that um, I know it has sparked a bit of a conversation amongst the listeners here. So I, I thank you really? for yeah. That like a friend of the show, Jeremy Lloyd. He had um, no no relation to Jamie Lloyd. Um, at least so I would sure fucking hope not because he's he, got an evil uncle that's going to kill him. I mean, You're fucked, bro. I mean, he is from the Midwest. He basically oh, uh, it's over. I mean, sorry, Jeremy. Get that, get that life insurance policy while you're at it. <laughs> um, and so, like, yeah, he posted to a movie group we're part of, and they just sparked a conversation. People were like, I don't think it's that bad. And then there's people vehemently hating both cuts of Halloween 6. I mean, honest to God, truthfully, I can watch them both. That's 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 the one thing I could say. I may yell at the TV a couple times, but I can watch them both. I feel compelled to watch them both when... when just get me a doctor! Oh, my God. You're just get me a doctor. That's what I say. That's what I do. I just pick up the phone. I dial operator when I'm watching the scene. I just yell to it. Just get me a doctor now! Because I fucking need one. <laughs> Does it work? Do they send you a doctor? No, they send the police. <laughs> oh. They tell me to stop harassing the operator. <clears throat> I'm like Chris Kattan at Night of the Roxbury, except the, except the exact opposite. <laughs> I'm 
this is twice in the a one night you've broken me. Like one was it happens. Yeah, I mean, first was like you were saying a duckman lied to me. Duckman lied. Yeah. That, that, that broke me like harder than like it's been a while since you've done that. It's been a while. Sorry, uh, uh, that's twice. I've been working so many late hours. I don't really get to see you for very long. This is true, and that's why we're kind of doing this a little bit earlier than our usual time. But and so and also because I got to work in the morning. Yeah. And so after the bomb that was Halloween Six, they Miramax is like, all right. Ideas were there to have a seventh because I mean, obviously, you know, if it, it did make money, even if it wasn't hugely profitable, Halloween Six. You know, I mean, these movies are pretty cheap to make, so the odds of you making some kind of money back are pretty good. Uh, Daniel Farren's actually had ideas for a seventh movie that ultimately never got used. They, they did get used, however, in the Halloween trilogy of comic books, which we will speak of several episodes from now. Yes, but ultimately, you know. Nothing went. Nothing went forward. Nothing was set in concrete, and things were pretty much dormant for a little while. How, horror in general was at an all-time low at this point in '95. Yeah, because the slasher genre had <clears throat> run its course. It ran its course a while ago. Yeah, but like, I think you could officially say Halloween Six is the final note in the original run of slasher movies. It's like that's it, done. Pack it up. I'd go as far as you know. Jason goes to hell. <sighs> but that's before. Because um... Halloween Six was kind of just there. Yeah, but then again, you had Jason eventually go to fucking space. Yeah, but that was years later after things were different. But re- regardless, you know, things were at the lowest point ever. However, ironically enough, <coughs> in about a year's time, maybe maybe less total, 1996, Miramax themselves with their Dimension films resurrects horror movies and slasher movies with Scream. Yes. Wes Craven, a great, you know, one of the all-time greats of horror up there with John Carpenter, manages mm-hmm. to single-handedly bring back a genre he helped innovate. And all of a sudden, you know, you're getting new horror movies with all these, you know, hot young teens of the day. I know what you did last summer, Urban Legend, uh, Phantoms and, uh, by Joe Chappelle. Uh, Affleck was bombing Phantoms, yo. Uh, and then you also have, was it Valentine? Was that with David Boreanaz from, like, Buffy the Vampire Slayer? Which Buffy will come up again later on in this uh, review. Don't, don't you worry, folks. Horror movies, especially slasher movies, were being churned out in the late 90s like they were in the 80s. You had a full-blown... Resurrection, on your hands, no pun intended. Well, and there'll be a resurrection next episode. And since Halloween was already, you know, owned by Dimension, I guess time now is the time strike while the iron's hot. Let's get a new one in there. Bob, I think we need to make another <laughs> Halloween movie. Oh, yeah, that'll be good. Just keep Harvey away from everything. Keep Harvey away from the women's trailer. Oh, boy. It's... Oh, it's guys, it's freaking scurvy. I hope he... Uh, he's gonna but die. keep him keep him in the prison shower. Yeah, he's <laughs> he's gonna die in prison probably. Something and, bad's gonna happen. Nah, he's got enough money. He'll fucking he'll, he'll get like the Goodfellas prison, or be like uh, in Wolf of Wall Street where it's. I like, used to slice the onions so thick it would melt right in the pot. Yeah. Don't use too many onions in the in the sauce. Tell you not to use too many onions, Harvey. Uh, That's what he uses to make all his women cry. Uh, too many onions. <clears throat> his oniony bag, as Jim Norton would put it. <laughs> Moving on. Uh, yeah, moving on. They tapped uh, Kevin Williamson of Scream to mm. write the, the story. and Because he was such a huge fan of the Halloween franchise. Yes, and around the same time, Jamie Lee Curtis, who I, I, I've heard her be accused of many things, saying how this was at the point where her career was failing and because she decided to leave horror, horror behind when she became such a big actress, now she wants to come back to it. Jamie Lee Curtis got the idea... <laughs> for the 20th anniversary to reunite everyone, you know? Which is kind of a weird thing, because she's coming off True Lies, which is a big hit. That was, like, what, four years earlier? Like, 94? 
This is 98. 97, 98. It was a couple years then. She hadn't had, it's one or the other, I She hadn't had a huge hit in a few years. You know, I don't want to say her star power was fleeting, but mm-hmm. at the same time, I will give the woman the benefit of the doubt that, you know, she wanted to, for the 20th <coughs> anniversary, <coughs> oh, my Lord, for the 20th anniversary, do something nice for the genre that helped make her. Where she was, ten, why she wouldn't do it 10 years ago, I don't know. I mean... It would have been nice if she stuck with it for Halloween 4, but we're not going to throw stones. Nope. But I will say, I still, to this day, give props for Jennifer Lawrence for sticking with those superhero movies when her career was on the rise and everyone said, get away from that shit. But is she contractually obligated to do the, the X-Men movies? I don't know. But no, like, like I enjoy parts of X-Men Apocalypse, but it definitely seems a lot of people are sleepwalking through that movie. Talking Days of Future Past. Oh, Days of Future Past. I think she's still she came she, back for that, yeah. yeah, but she's still trying in that one. I yeah. think in X Men Apocalypse, I think her and McAvoy look very bored. It's sad to say, but I mean, like the one thing I said this about X Men Apocalypse before. I saw in a movie theater the broken AC unit in the middle of summer, and so it was sweating balls as soon as the movie start. Right before the movie start, movie begins. I totally forget about the heat. Until the movie's over, then I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm just sitting in a hot box and immediately start sweating again. I mean, I, I didn't see it because I've had superhero fatigue for about f- three years now. <laughs> uh, I don't blame you. And so, Anywho, this is Anything Goes, the, the, the superhero podcast. Oh, yeah, back to the t- Halloween one. Tangents happen. But, yes, at the same time, all these stars were beginning to align. Jamie Lee Curtis decided to come back. Kevin Williamson, I believe, wrote in his treatment having Laurie Strode come back and actually having an explanation keeping the continuity of 4, 5, and 6 in there. Yes. There was going to be the idea, because he, t- he borrowed from Halloween 4, where she faked her death in a car accident instead of, you know, she was dead in Halloween 4. It was actually faked. And there was... Just a using witness protection at that point. Yeah, witness protection. And there was a scene where a student in her class, because in this movie she's a headmistress of a private school, mm-hmm. uh, a student in her class does a report on the Halloween murders, describing them all and the fate of Jamie Lloyd, at which point she has to storm at Jamie uh, Laurie, you know, hearing this, storms out of the room, runs to the bathroom, and throws up out of just, like, anxiety and grief hearing this story being told again. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, that did not stick around, though. I don't know whose decision it was. I've heard it was Steve Miner, the director, from Friday the 13th, Part 2 and 3 fame. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, Halloween 4, 5, and 6's continuity was erased, and this is the dreaded sequel reboot. The first one in the series. Now, with that said, over the years, there has been the argument made that this movie does not outright state that 4, 5, and 6 did not exist. This movie takes place, not, not one scene of this movie takes place in Haddonfield, in the no. fictional town of Haddonfield. The closest we get is Langdon, Illinois. Right. In the opening scene. So we're away from, we're with characters that have lived their lives completely away from this. <clears throat> we're not around it. So who's to say it couldn't have actually happened? You know? Right. There's nothing. There's nothing outrightly denying it. The most we get is a is a uh, line in the beginning when the two detectives and we will talk about this when we begin our plot synopsis. When two detectives are, t- are talking about who the character of Marion from Halloween one and two is after she's killed, how Doctor Loomis lived with her, and had the possibility of Michael still being out there and committing these crimes, saying, "Oh, didn't that happen like twenty years ago? Oh, but they never found the body." Yeah. So th- that's the closest we get. During the opening montage, we have the opening montage takes place in Loomis's office. He had only, you know, they acknowledge that he had passed away a few years ago. That idea is there too. The fact that keeping with Donald Pleasance had passed away in real life. Thankfully, they didn't try to recast him or anything. 
So, it, and his office looked like some, it looked pretty fresh. It looked like it had been used recently, you know, within like the past few years. It, didn't, it wasn't covered in cobwebs or whatever, but it, it, di- it didn't look like he had been dead for 10 years or more. It looked no. like he'd been dead for maybe two or three years like he actually was. Yeah. It was relatively well kept. Relatively well kept. And the whole opening credits are, are taking place in this montage where it's, the room is being you know, scanned of all the newspaper articles and articles about himself and files he has posted and photographs and maps with pins in them of where he thinks he's struck. There's one piece of evidence, photo, uh, photograph evidence that they, that they gloss over, which is another strong suggestion saying that Halloween 4, 5, and 6 could have existed. They gloss over <coughs> a bloody pair of scissors in an evidence bag. What Halloween movie had Michael Myers kill someone with a pair of scissors? Five. Oh, yes, five. And, I almost said four. Jesus Christ. No, because Jamie Lloyd uses yes. a pair of scissors and to attack her stepmother. Yes, but Michael Myers killed... Uh, Rachel. Rachel. Well, here's the thing, though, too. Were those scissors ever really found? Because Rachel's body wasn't... Ah, who gives a fuck? It's a movie. They, 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 probably could, <laughs> they probably could have searched the house after Michael was um, captured and everything. Because the Myers house? Yeah. Yeah. So that was a strong thing in there. But no one could ever wrap their heads around. The one missing piece of the puzzle is why would Laurie Strode go into witness protection program and leave her daughter behind? Especially when in this movie she has a son who is maybe a year younger than Jamie Lloyd. Yeah. John, the character of John Strode. For the whole time I have been watching these movies, I have kept with the idea that four, five, and six actually did happen. And that there is some explanation. I have sat there toiling over it for hours on end at work. In play, fucking driving, trying to figure this out, and it has reached the point of, like, outlandish fanfic. It's driven you around the bend, hasn't it? It's driven me around the fucking bend, and the one thing I cannot fucking make this work with is the character of John Stroden there. Because in this continuity, you know, if we're going by what Halloween H2O and what Halloween 4 says, Laurie Strode died in a car accident several months earlier in 1988. Jamie Lloyd on the couch in the beginning says, it's been X months, you know, it's been three months, whatever. So she would have two children, you know, seven and eight years old right there. Where would John have been? Would he have grown up without his mother? Clearly, they have two different fathers because Jimmy Lloyd, or if if that actually is, that's also the believe thing. I think we've said that before in our Halloween podcast, that Jimmy from Halloween 2 is Jamie Lloyd's father. Right. That's a popular fan theory. You know, he died in this car accident. So maybe there was like an actual car accident. She survived, faked her death, and moved to California. But why wouldn't she take her daughter with her? You know? I've even thought of the idea that like, oh, Lori had an affair. Like, like Lori and Jimmy had a tumultuous relationship. One of those, one of those relationships that, psychi- that psychiatrists say is born out of trauma and cannot possibly work. Because mm. obviously with Jimmy, he sustained a massive head injury. He probably had something repercussions of that in his life. Disability, slipping mm-hmm. on, falling on blood and cracking his fucking head open. Lori quickly, be- probably quickly became an alcoholic. Yeah. <clears throat> the two of them probably had a very dysfunctional marriage, relationship, whatever, and she might have had an affair, you know, shortly after uh, Jamie was born. Right. Because this would have had to have been back-to-back births. Yes, yeah, so they'd have to be like almost like Irish twins at that point, because like, like, John would be 17 and Jamie would be 18 years old. However, you're... You have to realize you're putting more thought into this more than most of the writers in the entire franchise. Oh, yeah. And, I mean, the, the thing is, in this movie, um, in the beginning, when we first meet John Strode, he gets a birthday card a, a birthday card in the mail, allegedly from his father, <coughs> whom Laurie also says is an alcoholic. 
and says, oh, it's only two months late. That means he would have had to been born, you know, August of, what did we say, 81? Yeah. So it would have had to have been like back-to-back births. Right. So when we first meet Jamie Lloyd, we see this little girl who clearly loves her parents and has grown up with them. So it's not like, you know, Lori was giving one favoritism. Yeah. And for John in this movie to be putting up with his mother's, you know, alcoholism and bullshit all these years regarding Michael Myers. If his mother was absentee for most of his life, he, what, what what two shits would he give? He wouldn't, he wouldn't caring, care. Caring he, would, he, he wouldn't try and help her uh, deal with the trauma that she's dealt with for the past 20 years. Yes, and and so what it all boils down to, folks, you're hearing it live on the air. It's not live. It's recorded, but I'm on the air. Me personally, I'm throwing in the towel on the argument that Halloween H2O could follow 4, 5, and 6. I truly believe it is a sequel reboot. It pains me to admit that, but I have to. And most people are happy that it's like that. I mean, a good amount of people, I should say, because a lot of people do not like the Thorn trilogy. Well, I could see the explanation of, like, in Halloween 6, what we talked about, how in the hospital room massacre scene, how that was most of, like, the heads of the Thorn cult, and they were all killed right there. So the Thorn cult kind of ceased to be, Mm. because Michael, you know, massacred most of their top people all in one shot. So you could leave that loose end, you know, you could leave that as the explanation for that loose end kind of being open and how that's tied up. Like this is like, like Michael, every other loose end has been tied up except for this one. Michael still feels that like Lori's out there. He went to Loomis's house, found his proof and has chased after her. Yeah. But then again, you have to think that, that why wasn't the nurse in Halloween six? Why was he, why would he move back into the suburbs after leaving the country? Who did that? Loomis, like in order for six and seven to work, is that when like did he leave the country? No, like move out from in the country out in, out in the oh. sticks. Oh, maybe with his failing health, she convinced him to. And then Michael, maybe she she's a nurse. Maybe she offered to take care of him. And then then Michael would go, would have to get rid of the man in black uniform, get another jumpsuit and mask. Yeah, but that's not that hard. He does it every fucking movie. This is true. <laughs> anyway, so, somehow he does it in the new one. Yeah, somehow you know, exactly. Uh, I mean, like, it's going to be curious how they're going to try and pull it off. Well, no, like, we, they showed in the trailer he gets his original mask back. That's already explained, but he manages to find another pair of navy blue coveralls. Yeah, but I think if like, was it the trailer? It looks like, what, he kills a mechanic or kills something? Kills a mechanic. Yeah, okay. So, there you go. So, there we go. Navy blue coveralls. Fucking, all he has to do is shoplift Bob's stores if there's any of those still left one That's night. That's true. Just go shoplift the Carhartt store. <laughs> He'll be pissed to see him just going through it. It's like, olive, 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 tan. Ten. Where the fuck are the blues? Yeah, he's very particular. What, are, what is this? What am I doing? Something directed by Rob Zombie? <laughs> and so, so the sequel reboot was uh, was decided to go upon. It, that's the story they were going with. John Carpenter declined after asking for X amount of money. Apparently, he asked for like a ten million dollar payout he, for. He claimed that he was owed royalties for the directing the first one. He was never paid because, as we know, the first one was shot for super cheap and made a and made you know we got more money to David Crockett. Yeah. So, and I guess Carpenter feels like he wasn't paid enough in royalties for you know his directing stuff, and it right. was a point of contention with him and Mustafa Cod for a very long time. Mm-hmm. So, John Carpenter did not come back. I find it funny when I hear. You know, people talk about, like, Jamie wanting to reunite everyone. I think that actress Nancy Stevens, the character of Marion from the mm. first one, was the only other person besides her that came back to this in both cast and crew. I think so. Yeah. I mean, <coughs> that could have been a Miramax or Steve Miner decision right there, though. Well, even so, a lot of veterans of the Halloween series cast and crew didn't come back. You know, like uh, Alan Howarth was, did not return for music. Right. Instead, we got John Ottman, and no offense to John Ottman, but I'm not a fan of his score. 
For this movie. For this movie. I, I feel it is just – he tried to go with this grand, full orchestral, full big band like he's Mozart, <laughs> overproduced score. And uh, it, it, it kind of kills the Halloween theme for me because it is so overproduced. You have so many melodies and arrangements going on at once. Simplicity was the key for the original Halloween score. Right. I mean, yes, you could go back to its whole low-budget idea, but even after – Years later, with all these sequels, when they had money, they still kept it simple. I mean, at least they didn't have any electric guitars uh, doing dive bombs. I will say that. I don't even think there's – I think there's maybe piano for only a couple of bars in the version of the actual theme. Right. And the thing is, like, if it's – that's if when we do hear Hotman score, if it's not just recycle Marco Botrami's score from uh, Scream. As we will continue to get to, this movie was made with a lot of fingers and a lot of pies. Yes. No pun intended, Harvey. <laughs> Oh, this God. this one was, was corporate, jerry-rigged, and mangled with like crazy. The score was one of a few victims, at least, um, where oftentimes entire music users would be cut out and just replaced with like part of Marco Beltrami's score from Scream. Yeah, like literally like, copy and paste. Copy and paste. And, and like it's a point like like it messes with the pace of a scene. Yes, because it wasn't score. It wasn't meant to be used that scene. Here's the thing, though. I feel like Scream's entire score felt kind of paint-by-numbers to me. It didn't feel like you were trying to create a score <coughs> with a memorable melody that people rem- remember. I mean, like, say, Sid- that's the Scream theme. Like, you know? Sydney has a memorable theme, but, like, the, like the kind of, like, one, like, sing- singing voice, like, that choir, like, ah. I don't remember it. Oh, I-, I remember Red Right Hand more than I remember anything else. Oh, yeah. I mean, because that was, that was the needle drop they used it once or twice in the first Scream. I think- I think they used it in all four screams. No, I'm saying like in the, within the confines of the first oh, movie. I don't know. Uh, I'm just saying like it's like during the curfew sequence when all the town's being shut up and everything. Um, but still, like like wait, when you hear like the Nightmare on Elm Street and all you hear do 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 do, you know it's Nightmare on Elm Street. When you hear right, when you hear Psycho's, do, 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 you know it's Psycho. When you hear Halloween, do 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 do, you know it's Halloween. There was nothing like that in. Scream and carrying that over into Halloween, which is memorable. And like Friday Thirteen, like the and then like it's more of a sound effect than anything else. But because there's so many freaking Friday the Thirteenth themes, true. But then you have like there's, I will say that Marco Bellamy he didn't what they would call Mickey Mouse it when it when it comes to like Mickey Mouse score is that like it scored to the precise actions that's on screen. A lot of Mickey Mouse, Mickey Mouse cartoons in the early days were like that. And you think of another big uh, composer that does that, John Williams. You listen to John Williams' piece of music, like, <coughs> you listen to the Astro Escape and Empire Strikes Back, you can imagine precisely the cuts of the Falcon diving out of the way of the TIE fires and going in and out of the asteroid as it during the chase, or when Indy's trying to get the Ark back from the Nazis but on the, the truck. Sa- but at the same time, John Williams also understands the idea of creating something melodically memorable. Where when you hear it, you know what immediately what it is and what it's from. Yes, it's not just generic. Right. I, I feel like there's too much of a genericness to to the scream score, and I feel like adding that into Halloween only dilutes Halloween even more, especially when you had a, a score already that was kind of on the overproduced side. True. I, I really do wish either John Ottman scaled it back or they got Alan Howarth back. Right, but let's get into it. And so <laughs> let's get into it. This is Halloween H two O, where Laurie Strode comes decades later, comes face to face with the horror that has followed her for years. And don't forget to come back in three months when we review the new Halloween twenty eighteen, the movie where Laurie Strode decades later comes back face to face with the evil that has haunted her for so many years. 
Yes. <laughs> it is... Um, H2O2O. H2O times two. And Baba Walters, this is H2020. <laughs> and so we open up in Langdon, Illinois. Langdon, Illinois, with a very familiar little musical number playing. Yes, we have Mr. Sandman. Mr. Sandman. Yes. Bring me a dream. Doom, 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 doom. Make him... All right, fuck this. Um, so, yeah, <laughs> we see a woman carving a pumpkin very violently. Well, we see first October 30th, 1998. Yes. In the same font as the first two movies. That's one thing I really have to give a huge credit to on this movie. This movie really does try to keep a good visual continuity. Mm -hmm. It was filmed in, you know, 35 millimeter, um, 235 yeah, super thirty-five though. Yeah, it was not it was not anamorphic widescreen, no, and not you know cinematographically done in pa in uh, Panavision. No, yeah, like it, because shooting anamorphically was very expensive because of the lenses and everything, and super thirty-five became a cheap alternative to do widescreen, popularized by filmmakers like Ridley Scott and James Cameron, because a that you use less film, so it's less to process. If you're shooting like three perf rather than four perforations, if you think of like a, a 35 millimeter negative, like one piece of film, there's like four sprocket holes on the side. Those are the perforations. Anamorphic uses all four perforations for each individual frame. Super 35, you can go to three frames, so you're actually saving 33% on film per magazine you've used. And the fact is, since this is a time when four by three was still the norm of TVs and home video, you can actually like, all right, we'll just take this extraction from the movie theater and we'll just use the rest of the image for um, home video release. You lose a little bit on the side, not a lot. Yeah. I mean, granted, like the images will be grainier because you are just taking extraction and kind of blowing that up. So it will be technically grainier, which you can tell here. I mean, like the Blu-ray quality is is fantastic. And we watched the uh, Blu-ray from the Halloween uh, 15 disc box set. We will, we'll get into we'll get into home releases later, folks. <laughs> yeah, and so and, and how to, and and what releases make a really good coaster whenever you have a cold drink to put down on the table that you don't want to get ruined. And speaking of a cold drink, it seems like Marion Chambers now form, form now Marion uh, Winnington Winnington looks like she's about to go home and get, make herself a drink when she gets home from work. Yep, as our familiar music plays, we see a large knife plunged into a pumpkin, but it's, it's a mother and a family carving a jack o' lantern. <laughs> we are introduced to a nice. Town block in Langdon, Illinois, not Haddonfield. Everybody's all happy. It's Halloween. It's good. And up to a house pulls a familiar face. It is Nurse Marion Chambers, now Marion Whittington. I guess there's a marriage in there somewhere. Right. From Halloween 1 and 2. She was the nurse driving Dr. Loomis and Michael Myers to his court date when he escaped and attacked her. And she returned in Halloween 2 to tell Dr. Loomis... That you know the, the, the governor, governor has ordered you to come back to yep. Smith Grove. She has returned. Pretty much the o I, I believe the only other actress besides Jamie Lee Curtis from the originals to return. Yes, she returns home from a long day's work. Goes up to her front door and notices one of the porch lights has been knocked out. There's glass all over the floor and her front door is mysteriously open. Yeah, it's a jar. And what? So, a jar. Oh, it's a jar. The door is a jar. Yeah. No, it's a door. It's not a jar. You don't keep things in a door. Silly. I'm gonna I'm gonna put you under me like floorboards if you don't shut the fuck up. What? Yeah. What do you want to do? I'll wait for the sickness to take you out first. I don't know. I've been on antibiotics for seven days. I'm on the mend. I don't know. I got a lot of patience. So she investigates and it looks like a little creepy there, but she decides to go across the street or next door, I should say, to see if she can get help. And bam, we run into a first jump scare. Yeah, that's another thing Miramax loves. Fucking. 
I uh, just just I apologize, listeners, if I hurt your ears. Just these music stab false jump scares where a character runs into another character off stream and and big violin and just allowed to just startle you for no reason for no like we get it. It's a horror movie. There are going to be things that scare us. We you don't need to you don't need to bullshit it. I, I wouldn't be mad if they weren't false jump scares. I, I preached about this numerous times. If it was literally Michael Myers she was bumping into and there was a music stab with it, fine. But no, she runs into a, a baby face, uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Uh, yeah, very young Joseph Gordon-Levitt, long before the days of uh, being Robin. Yeah, when he when it, before he was even a Gotham City police officer. You yeah, know? he was just a young hoodlum. Yeah, dealing with angels in the outfield kind of thing. And ironically, he's wearing a hockey mask. Where have we seen that before? Hmm. Yeah. Okay. And like these false jump scares were very prominent in the Friday the Thirteenth movies, especially two and three, and like those became like the default things going for us that series. So it definitely seems like Steve Myers is relying on old techniques of like scaring people in here. I, I almost feel like this is more Miramax than it actually is Steve Miner because this has just been a staple of like modern horror movies, the false jump Yeah, scare. but like how many false jump scares are actually in screen? Oh, you want, I don't know. Turn, put it on the DVD and we'll count. Keep going. I'll <laughs> think about it. Anywho. So, yeah, they go back to... to uh, Jimmy's house. Jimmy is Joseph Gordon-Levitt, the next-door neighbor. Call the police. And since he's a big hockey punk, he decides to go back to her house and investigate. So, you know, walking around. And this this is one of the cool things I do have to give it is that there is an idea. They, they do try to set up atmosphere in this. Yes. You have this kid, you know, walking around this dark house by himself. You know, something's wrong, but you don't know where it is, where it's coming from. We do get another false jump scare in the kitchen when the ironing board, you know, falls out of the wall and he goes and swings and hits a bunch of pots and pans. That yeah. is after stealing a couple beers from her fridge. And taking a bite of a cookie and just leaving the rest of the cookie yeah. there. But the one part of the house he does notice is out of whack is her office. Marion's office has been trashed. Yeah. Thrown apart, destroyed. Turned topsy-turvy pretty Topsy-turvy. So he goes back outside, lets her know everything's all right, you know. Oh, yeah, they trashed your office. I don't, yeah, they kind of trashed your kitchen too, you know. Covering himself. Covering himself. So she goes back inside to investigate. Her and he and his buddy go and have the beers back at his place. Yep, they go back next door. She goes in to investigate. She investigates in her office and sees a certain file. Of Laurie's name. Lame Laurie Strode. The contents of it are completely missing. Over on the other side of the room is a photograph of an old friend, Dr. Sam Loomis. Take it, I think, from Halloween 2. I think that's what it yep. looks like from there. The photograph has been knocked over, picks it up, you know, looks at him. Goes around, she do- doesn't feel right, you know? Feels like something's, someone's still there, something bad's going to happen. So she runs, gets out of her house, runs across the street. You know, Michael Michael Myers, like, we see him in the background as she's looking around. Doors are opening. Yeah. Like her back door, and she knows to get the hell out of there. Right. Gets out of there, runs, you know, next door to Jimmy's house. <clears throat> goes in there. Jimmy is dead. Ice skate through the face. Yes. She goes, you know, runs to try and get out. Opens the door, and there's Jimmy's friend in there, standing there, and he falls forward, ice skate in the back. Yeah. Falls on top of her. At this point, Michael Myers walks in and is now after her. She runs through the house to try and get away. He I, grabs- think, I, think it's a, I think he might be ejected from the game for violence like that on the ice. Yes. I mean, he, like- he, Michael Myers is Happy Gilmore. He took his skate off and tried to stab, stab, stab someone. Like he was going out the Mary like, is that gold regulation size or what? Jeez! And then falls down. Yeah. <laughs> he's not a very strong skater. So anyway, no. he's pursuing her through the house, at which point the cops finally arrive. Who knows how much later. Michael's distracted for a minute where she comes out of nowhere with a fire poker and starts hitting him with it. Yeah. The cops go inside, but she's a little too late. She breaks out the window screaming for them. Yeah, because the cops go into her house into next door. Into her house next door. 
They don't see the commotion happening in Jimmy's house. She breaks out the window, screams for them. But it's too late. Michael grabs her, slits her throat. Drops Paul, her. Paul Marion's dead, and he escapes. <clears throat> the cops leave the house after investigating, and they notice that the window was broken in the next-door house, and so they go and investigate. But they're unaware of the fact that Michael was pulled out of the driveway, I guess, in Jimmy's parents' car. or, or Jimmy's, Somebody's car. Yeah, and just he eventually turns on the headlights, and he drives. He moses his way down the street, and eventually we... Not cut. attracting attention. No. And so I guess it's... I guess it's the following morning. It's got to be Halloween. Early the next morning. Or early whatever. Halloween morning. Something like that, where where the um, cops are investigating the scene. That's when the two detectives we talked of earlier are talking about the whole thing, saying, "Oh, Marion Whittington. She was uh, Sam Loomis's nurse. Mm-hmm. Sam Loomis, you know, the Halloween, the guy who tracked down that Halloween killer his whole life. Yeah, he died. The shrink who died a few years ago. They say, right. you know, giving a very ambiguous." Uh, ambiguous conclusion to Lubis's fate, you know, but still paying respect to the idea that Don Pleasance has passed away and they're not going to try and replace him. Yes. Which I'm very pleased with. And, and truly, this is the point where just everything Halloween after this without Dr. Loomis, it just not, does not have the same feel. Vibe. Especially without Donald Pleasance's Dr. Loomis. Because we eventually do see another Dr. Loomis. Yeah, Malcolm McDowell's. But right. even so, the, everything Donald Pleasance brought to Halloween, just it feels like such a big chunk is missing from like, it. It's such a gravitas yeah. that, he bur- that he brought to the movies, despite how terrible they could be subjectively considered. And, it, and it's another reason why it pains me why 4, 5, and 6 have been retconned out of continuity by this point. Because it's like, you had three... Great performances by him. He was the thing that kept those movies heads above water, you know? Right. When they could be. And just for the idea that now, you know, okay, he survived a hospital explosion and he just sat on his ass for 20 years investigating things, you know? The fact that th- this character, we didn't, he, he now no longer has gone through that just roller coaster of ups and downs that we saw Dr. Loomis go through in 4, 5, and 6. Yeah. That those are gone, you know? That he, he didn't have those character arcs where in 4, he's just this, you know, this tired, broken down man that still has a mission to complete. By 5, you know, the fact that it's happened again has just made him go completely off his goddamn rocker and boiled up to a head at the end where he it nearly takes his life. And by 6, you know, he's, he's finally settled down, calmed down, reclaimed some form of life, but is yeah, pulled back some, into it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's he's found some sense of solace, but <coughs> Michael's return has brought him out of retirement. And he's this is his one last hurrah, pretty much right there. Yeah, the fact that those are just gone now is it, it, it is a hard pill to swallow. Yeah, especially if you were a fan of those movies, where it's to a degree we or are a fan are. of Doctor Loomis, Donald yeah. Pleasance. And but speaking of Don Loomis, uh, uh, Doctor Pleasance, uh, uh, Doctor Pleasance, Doctor Pleasance, Doctor Pleasance, mm, Doctor calling Doctor Pleasance. <laughs> I have a prescription for love. Uh, uh, not baby I want to get freaky with you We hear a voiceover <laughs> of very familiar lines But it's not Donald Pleasance yep. though During the opening credits we get a voiceover of the famous I met him 15 years ago And I was told there was nothing left Unfortunately it's not the exact audio From the original Halloween Which the, I don't understand why It might. You know what it might have had something to do with I don't know because the film, the movie was filmed for cheap, so maybe there was something with the audio. Perhaps maybe there was an, uh, too much room ambience that they couldn't edit out. <coughs> because it, because it's a bit jarring if you were like a fan going into this and you're aware of what Doctor Loomis sounds. Like. It was it was voice actor Tom Kane who who a few years later would would uh, become famous for playing Yoda in the Star Wars Clone Wars miniseries. Those little short cartoons on the, Cartoon Network with the 2D animation right right yep. okay 
And so his voiceover plays over the credits as we see all this, this montage of like these newspaper headlines of what and, has happened. And, and what crime scene photos and maps and articles and all these things. And not one of them says Michael Myers dead or alive, question mark. Yes. None of them also say Tommy Doyle survives bloodbath, mm-hmm. you know, and there's not four copies of it because he's a big fan of himself. Let's give me a doctor! Oh, somebody get me a doctor. <laughs> And, I won't let anybody hurt you, Stephen. The credits, yeah, okay. Oh, there's that loose end too. Yeah, how about that child? Yeah, they fled to Hong Kong. I don't know. Yeah, and, and they so, all sew soccer balls together. And so the, it, we cut to his we, a dream sequence. We do not know is a dream sequence of the spoilers. Yeah, of the of the Hillcrest school. Academy. Yes, we do not know it is the Hillcrest Academy yet. We know it is a, the school, this air, place with these big. Open halls, big structure. Nor is it the school for the gifted ran by Charles Xavier. No. We get into this big room where we see a desk, headmistress Carrie Tate, and a picture of Josh Hartnett looking all young and and WB-like. Remember the WB? Yeah, I remember the WB. Remember the WB. WB. I remember when it became the WB. Remember the WB store? Yeah, I miss the WB store. That so was awesome. Mm-hmm. Anyway, and so this this city cam shot continues around the office and pushes in on a closet with very Venetian like blind doors, and we cut the footage of the first Halloween of Michael barging through the closet at Lori, and then we whip back <coughs> around to see the a knife stuck in Dress Hartnett's picture and Lori showed written on the. Chalkboard. This is after a clock has been slowly ticking towards midnight. Once it hit midnight, that's when we see all these things hit. And when it points at the chalkboard, it says Laurie Strode. Bright flash. There's Jamie Lee Curtis in bed, dreaming, screaming at the top of her lungs with this, you know, having this nightmare. Where her son, John, comes in, wakes her up, and quickly runs to the bathroom cabinet and grabs her pills. Yeah, because because she's having night terrors and she has, I guess. Several medications to help her cope with the trauma she's dealt with since the first two Halloween movies. Yep, it's now been twenty years. Laurie Strode's life is pretty much a fucking wreck. She, though, somehow she has managed to keep it together well enough to become the headmistress of the Hillcrest Academy, a private school in what Northern California? Yeah, Southern California. Yeah, <coughs> but I, but I guess like since the, you've worked for school a school district, like how kind of questionable decisions made like it seems like a person with a, a substance abuse problem could make it to be the head of a private school knowing how education system in the new york oh in the United god States dude. works we had a teacher arrested for sleeping with students last year oh he's boy. been doing it for like 20 years oh geez Ugh. yeah and so we, we agreed the next morning to a nice contentious breakfast on the stressful of holidays and uh, anniversaries between Lori and her son. Yeah. Lori, now known as Carrie Tate. Yeah. Changed her identity. Uh, her son wants to go <coughs> on the school field trip to Yosemite for National a Park for yeah. the weekend. But she does not want to allow him. No, because she doesn't want to let him out of her sight, especially around this, this day. And even though she pretends to, to forget the fact that it's Halloween, of course she knows it's Halloween. She's just playing dumb. I know she's playing possum right there, I should say. And, and John's like, it's been 20 years. If he was going to make a movie, he would have by this point. At this point, he re- also receives the birthday card. It says, happy 17th birthday. And she said, oh, it's from his dad. You know, it's only two months late this time. The two of them, they really butt heads a lot. He's a young man who's just getting tired <coughs> of his mother's trouble. Presumably, Michael growth. sent that card, right? Well, we will get to that. Okay. He's tired. He, he, he's growing up. He feels like this, this trauma... 
that has afflicted his mother is long over. She can't let it go, and now it's really affecting him. So the two of them butt heads quite a bit. They don't have the, the greatest of relationships. So John, during the date school, meets up with his girlfriend, Molly, played by Michelle Williams. Uh, their friends, Charlie. I can't remember who was who his actor. And what did he go on to do besides nothing? <laughs> his last name was like hyphenated bird, like B-Y-R-D. I ended up looking it up really briefly. Hyphenated bird? Yeah. He what is species? Ha, ha, ha. Very funny. You know what? You should be a goddamn comedian with zingers like that. You should be on a comedy special and entertaining the sheep masses. Adam Hanbird. He's a Hanbird. Yes. So. As Charlie and his girlfriend, Sarah, played by the always lovely Jodie Lynn O'Keefe. I had a huge crush on her when I was a teenager. Mm-hmm. I wish that she did more. But she, yeah. she this was two. This was a year before she's all that when she played the head bully. Oh my god, she was the head bully in <coughs> yep. that, yeah. And then she would go on to have a TV career. I know she was like on Vampire Diaries, Lucifer for one episode, and something else that like just bring it or something like that. Oh no, no, uh, I forget what the hell it is. But these yeah, are our she, teens. Yeah, and, and then we have obviously, like we said, Michelle Williams um, as uh, Molly, Molly, the girlfriend, the girlfriend of uh, John, and the fourth. And these are four. New main protagonist of this movie. They ultimately decide not to go to Yosemite, mostly because John's not allowed. And Sarah talked about what a what a total bore it is. She went there with her parents. So the four of them decide, you know what? If we're not going to go, let's have a little Halloween party of our own. Yeah. On campus, because no one will be there. All the kids will be away. Chaperones will be with them. Yeah, yeah teacher like- chaperones will be there. It'll be very few actual staff on hand. It'd be a good, it'd be a, <coughs> it would, like in the words of Flintstones, it'd be a gay old time. Yes. Uh, Laurie, on the other hand, you know, she, she's just stressed out because of what the holiday is. She's seeing is. hallucinations of Michael everywhere. Yeah, in windows. Yeah. She, she is greeted constantly by her secretary, Norma, played by her mother, Janet Lee. Yeah, which is, it was cool to see her, because it's not the first time they've been in a movie together. They were actually in John Carpenter's The Fog, not as mother and daughter in that movie, but like, this is her first feature-length movie since The Fog, so it's just curious to see, like, wow. her last two big movies. Like, yeah, like, she was with her, her daughter yeah. acting uh, against um, with her and everything. <laughs> and then we have uh, Lori's boyfriend. Yep, we were introduced to, to the character of Will, the guidance counselor. Uh, he and Lori have a relationship going. He's played by Adam Arkin. Where they like to, you know, sneak away and make out in the hall as if they're teenagers themselves. Right. They have a little lunch date scheduled for later on, mm-hmm. you know. So... What happens next? Bathroom. <laughs> because as I as the bathroom, even Michael has gone all the way from Illinois to California. Yep, we cut we cut to a highway yeah. somewhere in California and a where, Model T. It looks like a fucking beat up old Ford Model T from from like you know forty fucking years earlier. Yeah, no, I mean like <laughs> this car- depression era, and it's being driven by just your normal modern mother and her daughter. Like it is like decrepit old World War Two man. I, I, I mean, it, it is so jarring yeah. compared to everything else in the movie because this movie is very nineties. I'll get into that in a second, but like it is with no explanation for it, like other than it looks unique, but it is so unique that your eyes is like, ah, oh, that's weird. Like it's out think, of place. It's out of place. You Gravely think, out of place. You think the old truck and Jeepers Creeper is like, yeah, because a monster drives that and he's been doing this for years. So but that's, that's why just some like pretty pretty young woman and her daughter. No. And because they stop at a... Rest stop, because the daughter has to pee-pee. Yeah. She has to make tinkle. Yeah. And there's a familiar car that we saw earlier there, sitting there next to it with the tire blown out. Right. So Michael clearly had car troubles. Yeah. Made his way to a rest area. 
the mother and daughter. I wonder how he reacted to that tire blowing out. Oh, he was probably pissed. Yeah. He was probably pissed. And if it was Tyra Maine's uh, Michael back, oof, 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 beating on the... That's probably why the tire was so destroyed, because it was just a tiny blow-up, but he got pissed and just... You know, Tore it up. Packed it, like, fuck, now what do I do? Exactly. I gotta make my anniversary, or else I gotta wait another 20 years. Yeah, exactly. And so, in a... Maybe I'll turn myself back in for another 20 years and act like none of this ever happened. And so, <laughs> he goes to hide in the men's October bathroom. 19th, folks. Mark it on your calendars. Exactly. It's gonna be good. Uh, he hides in the, in the men's bathroom. Which keeps, we, the, keeps the women's room locked. Yes, because he's a perp like that. Um, and so the mother and the daughter decide to go into the bathroom and use the stalls while they're in there. She takes a large rock and holds the door open. In the hopes that it would not like lock while they're in there. Mm-hmm. And so they are doing their business, but here somebody enter. And the door slides shut. Quickly, we see the, the mother looking around, and some, a hand grab her purse from, yeah. from right by her feet. Right, and grabs her purse and like walks away, and she peers through the crack of the door and it's, sees Michael Myers through the mirror looking at sees her. Sees a shape look back at her. And we get the first real good glimpse of the mask. This mask, I should say. This mask, yes. This was another major uh, point of contention, as it seemed throughout the movie, this corporate, this corporate product. Um during shooting, apparently, somebody, I've heard it blamed as Steve Miner, you know, it could be, I mean, during a screening of dailies, stood up and said, that's not Michael Myers' mask. And all hell fucking broke loose. Right. Um, this was according to Greg Nicotero in the Halloween 25 Years of Terror documentary. So many people have said so many different stories, but basically, during filming, someone wasn't happy with the Michael Myers' mask. So... A call went out to, what was it, K&B, I believe? Yes. Was the next one to take a stab at it, no pun intended? Yeah, because they, like, they had, they had this, this version of the mask and because they didn't want to pay the rights to it, so they had to make an amalgamation. So they go to K&B first. They went to K&B effects. They and made, Greg Nicotero, he says, like, all right, this is the parameters I had to make a mask, and so they made a mask. And somebody wasn't satisfied yet. So then they went to John Carl Beekler. Yes, who's a, a special effects uh, makeup guy. And, and di- wasn't he director of Part 7 of uh, Friday the 13th, 13th Part yes. 7? And so it's weird how like Friday the 13th, like timelines crossing past here, and some <coughs> and people somebody didn't wasn't happy with that. So then at the last minute, they went out to Stan Winston Studios. Yeah, I think I think it was Miner who st- who reached out to Winston at that point. Because a lot of things I believe were going by. Steve Miner seemed to have a lot of creative control on this project, and a couple of things, especially the mask, were done like behind his back. So then more footage was shot, and then you know. Stan Winston's studio was essentially fired. So by the time this was all said and done, no more than four masks were used. And at one particular scene, which we'll, we'll let you know when it is, a CGI mask was used very yeah. briefly because something needed to be reshot. It wasn't good enough, whatever. So they just put a CGI mask. Because they couldn't go back to that set and reshoot it. And we're talking like 90s CG, folks. So it stands out. It is like Reptile from Mortal Kombat bad. Yeah. But like the Mortal Kombat movie, not the video the, game. The fucking Scorpion King. <sighs> Heavy Metal 2. Oh! Heavy Metal 2000. That's wow. what it was. Yeah, and so... Mortal Kombat Annihilation. <laughs> you will die. Too bad you will die. 
They should have gotten Bolo Young in there just so that he could have responded with, you are next. <laughs> I was watching Bloodsport last week. I love that movie. Bloodsport is awesome. And that was in, Mortal Kombat was inspired by Bloodsport partially. Yeah. After the I, Dragon and Bloodsport were two, two, two influences of it. After the Dragon, Bloodsport, and uh, Big Trouble in Little China. Yep. And so Michael <laughs> steals Anything the... Anything goes, folks. Steals the Model T with the Aluga. Uh, yeah. Uh, that's horn. what you would think. When you look at this car, you think it would have a, a, a horn uh, like that. Yeah. And so abandoning, I, I presume, are those, and like, so. Just throwing shit out of her purse. Yeah, and know? so is the daughter, uh, was, did he lock the door when he left? I don't know, because wouldn't they just be able to get out from the inside? I would hope. Because they were locked out of the women's bathroom, not locked into it. True. It's kind of like that, that joke from Family Guy, like, reminds me of that time where I locked myself in my car. Can you please, somebody pass me my car keys, I locked myself in the car. And so, Michael has resumed his quest to. Northern California. Back in Hillcrest, Lori's giving a speech to all the students about the trip to Yosemite and how they need to behave, at which point it is now lunchtime. We are introduced to Ronnie, campus security, played by LL Cool J. LL Cool J had a bit of a career revitalization around this time. In 96, he had an album that was a pretty big Don't call it a comeback! Oh! Fucking A! I'm so happy I got that in there. Yes. Good for oh. you. He had a bit of a comeback in 96. He was on the Beavis and Butthead Do America soundtrack. That's true. Well, he was, and he, I guess, expanding his acting wings by this point, where he played a security guard that was a budding writer, and he was constantly writing romance novels, and his uh, wife, girlfriend, or whatever, was always on the phone with him as he read the stuff to her as her yeah. as the critique. And she was just like, because she was not sold on the idea of like doing like these the trashy romantic novels and everything, but he defends himself like I want to express myself creatively, and we're paying the bills with the. Um, Proceeds from these books. At which point we are now directed to jump, false jump scare number 47 when uh, John and Charlie decide to startle the shit out of him and try to persuade him to let them out. Apparently no. he's gotten in trouble for it before. Yes. And he scared the snot out of him <laughs> if you were watching the TV. Yeah, if you were watching it, that on television. Which I've watched it so many times. And it's like I, I remember so many – like this and another swear that happens later on that is so hilarious in the TV edits for this movie. But – Josh Hartnett uh, convinces him, like, I want to do something really special because we're going to have a nice party. We're staying in and everything. Like, please do it. And, like, Ella Cool J is like, no, no, no. He's like, no, I'm not going to do it because I'm not going to get in trouble and I don't want you to get in trouble. But at this point, we also forgot to mention that um, was it this or was it later when Jamie Lee Curtis gives him his permission slip and ultimately decides to let he, him go? They, after the speech of, like, the, the ground rules of what everybody doing at Yosemite. She gives him the slip, and he's like, yeah, fine, fuck it, I'm not going to do it. You know, what he wants so badly, she learns to let go a little, but by this point, his mind is made up to stay. Right. And have their little party, so he just throws it away. He doesn't tell her that he's not going. That happens later, because then we immediately cut to the montage of all the people leaving. Yep. Well, he does, yeah, that's thing, though. He doesn't tell her that he's going. He just throws his permission slip away. But anyway, it's, you know, lunchtime. She goes, Lori goes for her dinner date with Adam Arkin. Yes. With a uh, lunch date. Her lunch date with, with uh, Bill. <laughs> with Will. Will! Where she talks, you know... She's really keeping him at arm's length. She's not really letting everything but she, in. She's trying to articulate what's happened to her. Yeah, she's drinking heavily just at lunchtime. She has like a big glass of Chardonnay. He go. He, what was it? He goes to the bathroom or something. Yeah, and she has a full glass of Chardonnay. <coughs> she gets the way of attention by like, "Hey, come here!" Like waving him over, which I find so fucking rude. Not like waving hello, but like waving like, "Hey, you come here." Yeah, or like making eye contact, like, "Hey," uh, or just raising your hand or something like that. But like, no, like come hither, kind of thing. And she's like, <laughs> "Another Chardonnay, please." He looks down at her glass, which is full. And she's like, another one, please? He's like, today. He's like, yeah, okay. So she quickly chugs down. Down, she down, chugs that fucking thing, and he brings her another, the, the next one. 
At the same time, somebody, uh, uh, a man scares a woman. Uh, Jump scare number 48. Yeah, against the window that she's sitting against in the... Yeah, um, a teenager in a Grim Reaper costume and his girlfriend are fiddling around the streets and bump into the window she's sitting in front of. And it makes her jump out jump. of her skin. Yep. So they, they leave, and uh, at this point, John and Charlie are outside a liquor store. Charlie manages to shoplift a bottle of champagne. Little bastard. Yeah, real smooth criminal right there. Yep, he's got the thing tucked in his, in his uh, coat pocket. Oh, it's so cold. i got to keep my hands underneath my armpits the entire time. At which point, unfortunately, they're busted. They run into Lori. They run into his mom. Who reads in the riot act of doing this. Yep, reads in the riot act. says, you know, I, I'll drive you back. And she says, you know what, Charlie, you start up. I guess these kids have their driver's licenses at this point because she's letting Charlie start up her car. Yeah. She just wanted a minute with John, and she fucking yells at him. She's in the street, what the fuck do you think you're doing? I love how <laughs> recently on Halloween movies, I think, uh, Instagram, they said, like, when I, like, the text was like, when I watch Rob Zombie's Halloween, it's just a clip like, what the fuck do you think you were doing? <laughs> hey, they're supposed to embrace it, man. They're the official website. Yeah. It was either, shit on anything. Shit on resurrection. It was either that or, like, or it was like another, like, Halloween, like, uh, Instagram I followed. I just found that fucking hilarious. But, yeah, so she, they yelled at each other. For, she's like, just give me one day. And John retorts, like, no, I've given you not just one day. I've given you 17 years, my entire life, helping you with another this. Another thing proving that 4, 5, and 6 have been retconned out of existence. He'd right. given a whole life of understanding and trying to help her, and it's... And it's come at his cost. And finally, he just outright says it. He's dead. Michael Myers you is dead. You saw him burn. You said so yourself. You watched him burn. And she says, I never saw him turn to ash. Yeah. But that's the weird part, because it's like Michael Myers shows in this, you know, hands completely free of any type of skin burns. He's clearly engulfed in flames at the end of Halloween, too. Yeah. Clearly engulfed in flames. Oh, no, yeah. maybe it was maybe it was the gigantic gloves that he was wearing. Yeah, yeah his winter he gloves. He just got bulkier all of a sudden. Oh, I saw a st- His fireproof costume. They released, like, um... Concept art or like of steel books for the Halloween franchise, and the Halloween two one is just Michael Myers and flames walking down that hallway, <laughs> and I'm like, oh, that's fucking dope. I mean, like, I mean, like if I like, I'm contemplating just taking it and making it in my background on my phone, but yeah, if it was like I didn't, see, I haven't seen him since he fell out the window. Maybe that continuity wise would make a little more sense to the fact that like nobody found his wife because she says I never saw his body. Like, so did he just pat himself off? Like, tuck, stop, tuck truck and roll and there's right when he, right when everyone got out of sight before his skin started melting and is fucked off for 20 years well i have heard the theories that back then people thinking that it took place after the original halloween kind of like this one right now mm-hmm. unfortunately i hate to say it but it doesn't because the just the simple fact that she acknowledges michael myers as her brother and you know josh hartnett's line of you said so yourself you watched him burn that right there acknowledges Halloween 2 happened. Yes. We are going with this as a continuation of Halloween 1, 2. In order, I guess because the two movies were, those were the two movies created by John Carpenter. So let's keep those in continuity. Even and arguably kind of, the most liked. And with Jimmy Lee Curtis was in them. Yes. I, I, that too is a big thing. Unlike the, the one that's yet to come out now, which is just following the original. Yes. Also called Halloween. <clears throat> also called Halloween. It's what are you watching? I'm watching Halloween. Which oh. one? <laughs> Rob Zombie's Halloween? No, the other one. Oh, the 2018 Halloween? No, the other one. Oh, the original Halloween? Yes. <sighs> if they make a sequel to Halloween 2018, I hope they call it just call it Halloween. Halloween 2019. <laughs> no, I just hope they call it Halloween. I hope they call it like um like uh, 2001 is like 2010. Like I just want like Halloween like 3019. There's like do something ridiculous like that. 
I was just watching an, uh, an episode of Review, a big red letter media fan, obviously. They were doing The Thing, mm-hmm. and they were talking about how, the, what was it, the 2011 yes. that's the year movie was just called The Thing. It's like, that's become like, that's become like a, a, a trend now. If you're going to have a soft reboot, just name it exactly the same as the movie it's soft rebooting. But that's the thing. That's a prequel. It's not even a reboot. But it's a, a soft reboot. Where that, that that that's the thing about the term soft reboot. That could mean anything. So just, it, it, also, also the quote: "Red Letter Media, when in doubt, just say soft reboot." I feel like my brain is going soft in this conversation. So it, they get it's soft and it needs to be rebooted. I have my I can get my boots out if you need that. Yeah, I want you to get your DMs and and curb stop me if I make you feel better. And so they get into Lori's truck and where we hear Mrs. Sandman on the radio again. Lori turns it off and she and she peels out of there. And Michael is in tow following them. They get back to the campus. Ronnie is not there right away, but they eventually let them in. Michael sees them enter the campus. Um. Uh, Lori gives him a scowling look uh, to uh, Ronnie and then peels out of there again. And she, he refers to her as a psycho. Psycho. Where have we heard that before? Yeah. And so that's when we go to the other her teacher in class by Frankenstein. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lori's teaching a quick class. Um, they're discussing Frankenstein is the subject. And in a scene very much mirroring the original, Molly, you know, she's sitting there by a window looking out and sees Michael Myers out there staring back at her. Huh? So Lori calls on her and she manages to answer the question, ironically also mirroring the original Halloween about how it was Victor's fate to confront the monster. Yes. Going in with the, the, um, the lesson that the teacher in the original Halloween was giving. And this resonated with Laurie, too, because it was also talking about confronting your monster, how Victor Frankenstein had to lose everything before he could confront his monster. Right. He like literally had nothing else to lose, so all else else is to face him because he lost his wife, too. Yep. And, he, and like so many other countless people have been killed by the monster because of his actions. And she looks back out the window after the question's answered, and just like in the original, Michael Myers is gone. At that point, he was wearing uh, the Pat Robertson mask. Yeah. There was one mask that – I call it more the John Belushi mask because it looked like a more like John Belushi type mask. Boom, boom. It was used in a lot of promotional boom, materials too. Boom, boom. <clears throat> so after the class is over, Lori gives John the Yosemite permission slip, tells him to go home and pack, at which point he swiftly you know, tells Molly and Charlie and everyone, oh, I got the permission slip. Are you going? Nope. Nope. Throws it out. And then we have the big – Swell of John Ottman's score as all the people leaving. And the, I swear to God, there's, in John Ottman's score, if you really listen to it, as it kind of gets to the end of like the theme and restarts, because you know how it's the do 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 going up and then down and then down and then up and then down. Yeah, it has this weird ascending, descending, ascending, descending. Descending, ascending, descending, where it keeps going lower and lower until finally it gets to the low point. It's like da 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 da, boom, yeah, boom. The way that court, and then you know it stops, the, like all the um, the uh, symphonic parts stop, and it's just the piano, and then the whole thing starts over again. In John Hartman's score, that ending part to it before the whole thing starts over again, it has a chord progression. That's I, I wanted to try and figure it out, but. I think it's almost like major chord bass because it sounds very happy. Yeah, because the thing is, like, he... 
in, mu- in basic music theory, if you know, major chords have sort of a happy progression as you progress from note to note in the major scale. And minor it has notes. A more, it has a more brighter, happier sound, and then there's the minor scale, which has a more darker, dissonant sound. Yeah, you think of like the Darth Vader <coughs> theme, that's a very, that's a minor chord playing and everything. Yeah. But like, here I'm it's- talking the scale, the progressions of those. Here it's like, like happy, 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 and that's the dominant thing of the theme. Like rather than like the actual like the the five fourths note of like the pop 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 pop. It stays in five four the whole time. Yeah, but like that's usually the dominant thing, and you hear like the underscore of like the boom boom. The synth synth yeah synth strings underneath. Flipped it like that's the dominant sound here, and the five fourths note progression. Is the under the, the melody? The melody itself is the, is is the undercurrent. It's barely there. The yes. melody, like it's it's played by like the horn section this time. Not even a piano. You could if there is a piano in there, it's so overproduced that it's like mixed out. Yeah, that's the one thing I'm not a fan of. Simplicity in the Halloween score. That's always been what defines it. And even years later, when they had bigger budgets, they still kept to that. Every variation Alan Howarth did still kept it simple. I think it's also partly because he worked alongside John Carpenter and understand it. I mean, hell, even Tyler Bates. When he version, did a yeah. version of it, like, yes, it's very industrial sounding, but... That was used more for promotional material than anything, because once you get into the movie, it's very straightforward. Right. The actual Halloween theme, the actual Halloween score. Mm-hmm. I mean, he has his own scores that are in there, too, which are more industrial sounding sound effects and stuff, but yeah. when it comes to the actual Halloween music that we all know, it's played totally straight and simple. Yeah, like, I'm thinking, like, the, the tone, <laughs> like, the sounds of playing, like, the un, like the atmospheric stuff, like, when Michael used to face uh, Joe Grizzly in the bathroom, like, and just, like, the... Yeah, and but like that, the, the the power of that scene is coming from the sound effects of them destroying the bathroom wall yeah. and, and the men groaning. But and so all the everybody leaves. All the buses, of students drive away. Faculty members drive away. At which point, you know, Lori runs out to like look, but right before the buses leave, goes to look out. Uh, jump scare number uh, seventy three. She runs into Norma. Yeah. Where Norma gives her a speech her about mother, like, but gently. gives her a speech about you know bad things happen to all of us and we can't let it affect us. Right, kind of like she understands because she's she's been her secretary for many years, sees Lori every year, sees her kind of get funny around Halloween time and sort of understands. As she walks away, a very familiar theme plays in the background and uh, a very familiar car. It is the exact same car she drove in Psycho and it's the Marion theme under. As a Psycho fan like that, that just does my heart that, so much joy right we, there. We got some Psycho fan service in Halloween H2O. I, and I'm just like, ah. <coughs> I, I don't want to say like that's my favorite part of the movie, but it's pretty close. Uh, but anyway. But, anywho, uh, as the, all the buses drive away, a familiar... Shitty-looking Model T turns its headlights on as all of them pass by and rides up to the gate. Chugging along. It is now nighttime. Ronnie is doing, you know, his his romance novel thing with his girl over the phone and sees this car pull up, goes out to investigate, but no one's out there. Opens the gate, inspects the car. Turns it off. Turns it off. But leaves the headlights on. And sees it. We see a a familiar shape walk behind him and walk in. Michael has now entered. Michael has entered the building. He's entered the compound. Mm -hmm. You know, Ronnie goes back to talk to his Wife on the phone, Michael's in the window, knocking on it, distracting him. And as he tries to talk to his girl again, phone cuts out. Michael's now cut the phones. Yeah. You know, we're, we're back into familiar territory. Right. Lori is, you know, leaving at the end of her night. <clears throat> turned it everything off, looking, reminding me of me that same year, looking twice. Back yeah, and forth you look over your shoulders and, and like you're, you're expecting every <clears throat> individual shadow in the room. Yes, yeah, so as she turns each the, each, turns each the, 
bleh, turns each of the lights off. Right. Me, I wouldn't even be. I would just left the shit on all night. Yeah. If, if the, they complain about the electric bill, I'd say I'll take it out of my salary, bitch. Right. She's starting to walk back, but then sees a shadowy figure in the distance and uh, terrified. You know, she thinks she's having one of her visions again. You know, sh- just shuts her eyes to try and just block it out, opens up again. This figure's still walking towards her. Shuts her eyes, still walking towards her. Shuts her eyes. False jump scared number 103. It's, it's Will. Yeah. It was Will all along. And they agree to uh, he, <coughs> meet up. Yeah, meet up, go over her place. And... He's just got to check on the last of the kids. Yeah. Which is, at this point, to their knowledge, Molly and uh, Sarah. Yeah. In their room. They were watching Scream 2. Originally, it was So I Married an Expert, or they were watching. But they superimposed Scream 2 over it. Because it looks superimposed. It definitely seems chroma keyed in. Do you want to die tonight, Cece? Um, Yeah, they didn't have to match the camera's refresh rate to the CRT. And so, okay. It's so funny because I said before, this is my second Buffy (laughs) reference. Yeah, obviously, Sarah Michelle Gellar, who plays Cece in Scream 2, also played Buffy the Vampire Slayer here. Yes, this is like three years after Halloween 6. But this movie looks so 90s. Mm-hmm. And just like the clothes and like how the layout of the school and everything like this, like it looks the, like it, the Creed song at the end. Yes, I mean it, it, like the, the sets themselves. I'm like this looks like fucking season one of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And I'm just saying like and like that. The first season was done on the fucking cheap, and it's it's also a reason why it's a shorter season with only 13 episodes versus 22, which would be the rest of the, the next six seasons. But wow, I understand it's the late 90s, but like damn, like. 90s hit hard in that movie, and it's definitely a, a very much of its time. So, Will and, you know, you know, Lori's getting ready for Will to come over by drinking. Um, yeah. The, the kids have now entered their little Halloween area where they're hanging out, having their party. Charlie and Sarah go to get the food. Yeah, and, like, uh, like and Sarah's like, uh, like I, I just want to eat all and just get, uh, like, plumpy, like, I guess the word she oh, I love Jodie Lynn O'Keefe. It's like, she loves food and, and is awesome and hot. Yeah, and then, like, Charlie says, like, oh, like, uh, I, I, kinda, I like heavier women. Like obesity that, like, is attractive. And she's so like, sexy. She's like, oh, you're so renaissance. I'm like, who the fuck says that? Who says that? Who says <laughs> that? Like, only the screenwriters who think this is like I'm sounding clever while doing this, and I'm gonna. Say, but it sounds like you're just a pretentious hipster from Williamsburg, Brooklyn. Like that's the only people who would use that kind of that kind of vernacular. Well, it's either that or he could have offered to purge his snork on those flappy ass tits. Bitch, I'll crawl over there and I'll scum fuck the shit out of you. Oh, that's so renaissance. Uh, Anywho, yeah, <sighs> they deliver the food, and Charlie realizes he forgot the corkscrew. I'll be right back. I'll be right back. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So Will comes over. Lori and them are hanging out. You know, talking about their past. Yeah, and there's an extended scene with Will that was cut out, but it's in the TV edit. Yeah, uh, we will get to the full description of TV scenes, but there is a deleted scene where Will is kind of like tells Lori a story of his past from his from his childhood. About how his mother was having an affair on his father. He knew about it, but he never told. And his, you know, his father took it out on him and hated him for the rest of his life. And so that's why he has trust issues himself. Even though he's always trying to get in uh, Jamie Lee Curtis's pants throughout the whole movie. Right. <laughs> but it, it's basically him opening up saying it's like we all got something really, really traumatic, but we shouldn't stop it from like opening our hearts to others. Yeah, because in the previous scene when they're in and having that lunch date, they were saying like she was trying to articulate what she was feeling. So this is a psychologist kind of way. It's like let like a kind of a quid pro quo kind of thing. Like let me open something very personal about me, so you feel comfortable and feel more willing to share what's bothering you. And Lori does revealing the fact that she is Lori Schrode, and then Michael Myers is her brother. And like Will's like at first like. Thinking this is kind of like a weird kind of role play thing, and then when he realizes no, she's being serious, 
he he turns the switch like oh and he becomes very attentive real quick. Yep, she confesses the whole story saying my brother killed my sister when she was 17. Oh, how do you do that with a really big kitchen knife? That's horrible. Take off your clothes. Yeah. <laughs> like you said you'd listen. Okay, so he does listen. And then she starts reciting the story. It sounds very familiar to him. And when she gets to the point where she says it all happened on, you know, like I, he, he sat in the sanitarium for 15 years and he broke out and came after me, killed a lot of my friends. It happened, and they both say at the same time on Halloween. She's like, you've heard the stories, huh? Who has it? Yeah, it'd be like, it's like saying like you never heard of Jeffrey Dahmer or John Wayne Gacy or Ted Bundy or something like yeah. that. Michael Myers, who hasn't heard of it. It's like, oh, but the girl, she died, right? In a car. Like, no, she faked her death. And you see him just like, uh, fucking eyes get wider. Because the wheels are turning at this point. So now she's the headmistress of a very posh and upscale private school in California, hoping and praying every day that her brother doesn't find her. He's looking at her, like, frozen with like, wide eyes. You're not like, kidding. He says, you want that drink now? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you don't blame him because he's like, like, yeah, you thought your story was impactful and traumatic, but, like, to have somebody or your significant other drop a bomb like that on you, mm-hmm. it's like, oh, like, I survived the attack of Son of Sam or something like that. Yep. And so he he presses more, find out more information about that. He's like, how old were you when that happened? And she says... She looks up at, at that moment. She just quickly looks up at a glance and sees on top of the fireplace mantle the birthday card from earlier. And she says, 17. So all of a sudden she has this horrible thought, like, what if that birthday... I, I feel in her mind the thought is, what this birthday card, what if that's from Michael? Yeah. What if he's come back? You know, it's ha- it's the 20th anniversary. Like, he's big on... She knows he's big on anniversaries, especially, you know, those, those fucking important ones. Mm. It's 20 years later, and my son is the same age I was when he attacked... You know, she says, do you think they made it to Yosemite all right? Do you think they try? She gets up. She tries to use the phone. My phone's dead. Goes into his room and sees all his camping gear there and says, someone didn't go to Yosemite. At this point, you know, she's run, rushing back and forth around the house. Goes over to her bed and under her pillow, there's a gun. And Will's like, whoa, whoa. calm down. He thinks she's overreacting at this point. She goes to open the door and uh, jump scare uh, 326 happens. It's Ronnie. Ronnie. She's like, fuck, fuck shit, you know. Yeah. Like, uh, the phones are dead. I know. I'm trying to find out, but there's a strange car parked up front. And at which point she just responds, fuck. Fuck. But or quite in, fuck. Or in the TV version, damn it. Yeah, like, just like, so. Damn it. Uh, you weren't trying there. <laughs> I really like that guy in the words of Robocop. <laughs> yeah. So at which point they decide, you know, to go look for everybody. She says, they Ronnie, to get the phone. Yeah, let's do that. Let's split up when there's a killer loose. So by this point, you know. Charlie, he oh, back with the kids. Charlie, he's looking for a corkscrew for their for their um, champagne. Well, Sarah goes looking for him because Charlie's taking a while, and he yep. like scares her, but we don't have a jump scare sting. Uh, uh, minor. I I will count it enough because there's enough of the egregious bullshit throughout the whole movie. So jump scare three hundred and thirty three. Yeah, and, um, and so he rides, and he's like, "All right, I need to get the corkscrew." So he rides a dumb way up to the second floor to get it. Uh, finds it, accidentally drops it through the sink into the garbage disposal. You know, turns it on, tries to get, like, the uh, centrifugal motion to sort of just knock Shoot it up through the chute. Yeah. And it doesn't work. So he turns the switch off, looks in, you know, deep sigh, and decides to stick his fucking hand in. Like, there wasn't a fork in the drawer that you could just put down there and grab. 
Well, you wouldn't have tension that way. No, the only way he'd use a fork is if there was a penny stuck in the outlet. <laughs> <coughs> There's your fucking tension. <laughs> but he sticks his hand in there, and behind him we see, you know, a familiar shape back there. So we're thinking, oh, shit. You know, is this guy's and penis he, down there? Is he going to turn the fucking garbage disposal on? And he even eyes the, eye, the disposal switch while he's doing yeah, this. Yeah, Charlie, he looks up to make sure the switch is off while his hand is down there. Yeah. Manages to pull the corkscrew out, turns around, and is startled by a CGI mask. Right. So this is one of the scenes where they couldn't go back and reshoot it and so they changed masks. I think this was the only one with the CG mask. Yes. And one is enough. Yeah. Because I, you, when we were re-watching, rewatching it for this review, I verbally... You got queasy. Yeah. And I was angry. And like your grandmother's dog, Olive, who was over there with us, like even sat up because I was getting so upset by mm-hmm. it. Aw. I miss my puppy. I know you do. Such a good dog. And so we don't see what happens to Charlie. It cuts away, yeah. Sarah's still waiting for him downstairs. Sends down the dumbwaiter. Is that what happened? Yes. Sends down the dumbwaiter, opens it up, and Charlie's dead. Yeah. The uh, throat cut open by the um, corkscrew. (laughs) Yeah. So she goes to run away, and Michael Myers comes back downstairs. She's cornered at this point. So she has no choice but to get in the dumbwaiter. Tries closing it, but it's a little stuck because she's yeah. got, you know, Charlie in there. So Michael, he manages to catch up and stab her right in the leg through the dumbwaiter. You and know. this dumbwaiter is strong enough to contain to be able to move two people up and down. Yeah. Two adults. So she manages to get her way up. <clears throat> when she gets to the top, she tries to get out, but she apparently somehow got her leg stuck under Charlie's body. So yeah. she's trying to crawl out. Her knee is, her leg basically at the knee joint is where, like, the door opens and closes. Michael downstairs decides to cut the freaking rope, and the dumbwaiter comes down, lands right on her fucking knee, and it's pretty, it's pretty gruesome too. Yeah. So she manages to wiggle the rest of her leg and her foot out. The dumbwaiter comes crashing down. Michael's still downstairs. He just looks at it, hit the ground, where the dust shoots up, and like, looks up. And it's like, huh. <clears throat> but this is when um, She's Molly, to... Molly, and John hear that noise. They hear that commotion. Yep, they hear the sound of the dumbwaiter crashing, and they go to investigate. Right. So Sarah trying to crawl away, knee fucking mangled, and it looked pretty graphic too. Yeah. Michael walks over, you know, and just very calmly and methodically starts stabbing her one, two, up and down rhythmically. Michael in this movie was played by Chris Durand. <coughs> I do like Chris Durand. I, I, but there's certain moments, he is okay, but there's certain moments like he's walking and it looks like he just like crapped himself and he's kind of like waddling, like I'm like, I don't want it to slip out. But in a lot of scenes, especially with like stalking and with the kills, he does have a rhythm and a pace. Yeah. Like, like you know, Michael Myers should have. And, and that scene where he kills Sarah is one of them where he's just very calmly jamming a knife up and down and kind of like twisting, twisting at the, at his upper body as he goes down. Right. To give it more force. And, and it looks effective. Yeah, the only like real big disadvantage for him is like the mass, the prominent mass that's used throughout. We see his eyes the entire time. It, it, it's too open, and I don't know if it's a I don't know if it's something to do with the lighting, or just the the shape of the mask itself. No pun intended. <laughs> like how I, I guess on Nick Castle it was a little baggier because it wasn't fitted for him. No, you know it was just a a, a prop thing. Yeah. But you do see his eyes just way too much. Yeah. It's kind of like how a lot of people think, like, you see Jason's eyes too much in Freddy vs. Jason because of the design of that mask as yeah. well. So, it's like, even if you just had black mesh there, and, like, you black, like, like the tops of his... Uh, Go all Batman. Uh, yeah, very much that. Yeah, you do it like, like how superheroes do it in movies. Like, I think I wouldn't have that much of a problem with it. But to see his eyes too much just, like, takes away from the fact that, like... Yeah, this is supposed to be a shape. Like, yes, there, he's in the form of a man, but like we see too much of the man with seeing his eyes. Yeah. Um, so Sarah's killed. Molly and um, John. John are still investigating. They come back to the kitchen area, 
and they find this long trail of blood from the dumbwaiter leading into, like, a pantry area. Right. They open up, turn on the pantry light, and somehow Michael has managed to hang Sarah from the actual light fixture. Like, like it's it's a, just a wire going down to, like, a light bulb hanging there. And he's like, I don't know how that works, that he just hung her body through, like, like stuck I guess wire. he wrapped it around and hung her. And, like, and it's, it's... The light it's is, like, like, flickering. Yeah, because it's inside her at this point. Like, it's a... It's an effective moment yeah. there. Effective moment. They see that. They're like, oh, my God, shocked. And then they turn around. They see Michael Myers standing there. And they, Molly's like, who's that? Who's that? And John kind of recognizes him, <laughs> I presume. I think John gets it by this point. Yeah. Not so much recognizes, but he understands, like, oh, fuck. And so they go running. They go run to the window, you know, get out, um, run around and away from the building. They think they've gotten away. They stop for a moment. Bad idea. Yeah. Uh, John starts to run again while Molly's catching her breath, and Michael jumps down from, like, a, a, a little, like, hilltop that yeah. was there. He took a shortcut, grabs a hold of her. John runs over, starts punching him in the he face. He gets good, three good legs three, three good, you know, Oscar De La Hoya shots right there, <laughs> but it doesn't phase him. So at which point Michael grabs him, pushes him to the ground, and stabs him in the leg. Yeah, he pushes him down like an angry person at a concert. Like, shut up! Yeah, exactly. You shut up! Molly and grabs a big fucking rock and hits him right in the face with it. Rocks him with it. Rocks pun- it. Yeah, I, yeah. Pun intended. I, Shut up. I, 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 it was not intentional. There. The two of them take off. John's now wounded. So and he's limping. Wounded and limping. So they're they're they've been slowed down. They get to in, to uh, an entrance area. Molly takes out her keys. You know, gets in, but goes to lock the door behind her, but accidentally drops the keys. And she's reaching out, trying to grab him from inside this little gate in front of the door. But Michael's walking. Michael's them. walking, he approaches, she manages to pull her arm away at the last minute as he swipes by, and he's sticking his arm and knife through the gate, just, you know, slashing this knife at them. They are pinned up against the, the door they're trying to get into. And, but Michael's, like, inches away <laughs> from them. Inches away from them. He stops, looks down, sees the keys down there, at which point they resume, you know, panicking, banging on the door, banging on the, the buzzer for right. someone to hear them. He picks up the keys, he's one after the other, trying each one. It's a very suspenseful scene. Yeah. Finally, he gets the right one. Opens the gate, but just at the last second, Lori and Will open the door, get the kids in, close it. Lori looks back up through the window, and the two of them come face to face, face for the first face. time in 20 years. Yeah. And Michael and Lori. She's staring at him with this look of like, oh, my God, he actually is here. And he looks at her, you know, does the famous head tilt. Like, holy shit, it's you. And like, so then Lori goes to the gun that she has in her waist, and by the time she whips it back out... He's gone. Presumably he just ducked under the... That's what I think. I have this visualization of him just like under the under the window, ducked down, just like giggling to him, hand over his mouth, giggling. Like, 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 oh, she thinks I'm fast, but I'm just smart. It's like like making the giggle from the dog in Duck Hunt. (laughs) (laughs) It'd be bad if it was the... um, Riddler laugh from the <laughs> yeah, with Robin, Batman, the filmation. the filmation, Robin, the boy, wonder, and tie him up, tie him up, tight. I was watching that yesterday. Oh my god, like, I didn't get up to that episode though. But that, that's a show that would make you feel better. Yes. So and ah, uh, I can't borrow the DVD. Maybe because okay. now I kind of want to watch it again. All right, that's fair. And so they get back into the, get into main, the room and main complex and they they hide Will and Molly in the closet and so and John they, and Molly oh we have Will yeah. they say who is that my brother you know and so, so Will and Lori take off with their gun you know he Will scared shitless like what do we do what do we do try to live easier said than done yeah and so they investigate trying to find Michael and stop him and they get to a window at one point, and Lloyd tells him to jump and get out of there. And he's like, I'm not going to leave you. but Because she's facing him, and her back is to the um, hallway. The rest of the hallway. 
Will sees a shadow come up the stairs and he grabs the gun from her. And we do see Michael. There's like two frames of actual Michael Myers there. And Will unloads Thank you, all, yeah, unloads all <laughs> six rounds into this shadow. Turns out it was Ronnie and he grazed him. Yep, Ronnie. Like, well, we don't know that just yet. Ronnie, he's got a nice pool of blood next to his head. So we think that Ronnie's been fucking killed. Yeah. Um, as they're, they're like crying over his body. Michael pops out from a closet behind and stabs Will in the back and lifts him up with a knife, similar to, what was it, Nurse Janet yes. in Halloween 2. Yeah. So Lori takes off, you know, she's got her Ronnie's blood on her hands, takes off, finds a, uh, the nearest door, opens it up. It's just a closet, but her blood is all over it now. So Michael then turns the corner, seems that same closet, seeing that, oh, Lori was here, opened it up. She goes to open the door. It's locked. Breaks it open with the knife, looks inside, no one's there. Lori comes up from behind with a, with a uh, fire extinguisher, bashes him over the back of the head. Crying. Runs away to the closet where uh, John and Molly are hiding, knocks with them to, to open, open it up. Open up, it's me. <clears throat> the three of them take off, Michael right. in hot pursuit. They get out the door, they get to her car, to Lori's car, they get in, you know, trying to turn it on in time. And just at the last second, when Michael arrives right there at the driver's side door trying to pull the door open, she speeds away. It's so funny because my like the trucks that she driving is like a GMC Jimmy, a uh, red one. Um, my mom had a very similar car with the Chevy Blazer. So I, and like, and how she's a kind of a crazy driver with that. Like, so I'm like that. I always just think of my mom and her green Chevy Blazer because it's like the exact design of a truck. And so I'm like, oh, that's hilarious. And so they get to the main gate. And Lori opens up the gate but tells Molly to get behind the wheel and go down to the streets of the Beckers. Lori pauses for a minute, looks behind her, and has a complete change of heart. She looks to Molly and says, drive. Get down the street and drive to the Beckers. That is a reference to Scream. Scream, when they would say go down to the McKenzie's like it was in Halloween. Yep, the Beckers in Scream said drive down to the McKenzie's, which was a reference to the original Halloween when, oh, when Lori Strode tells Tommy Doyle and Lindsay Wallace, Go down the street to the McKenzie's, tell them to call the police. Right. I presumably, Molly and John get to the Beckers, and they're too busy distracted because their daughter is hanging from a tree. Yes. Um, but I love the moment when, like, Molly and John are protesting, and, like, Lori says, like, do what I say now. I'll be right behind you. She's holding back tears, saying, I'll be right behind you. And Molly said, doesn't question after that. And John's <laughs> like, no, 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 no. And Molly just fucking tears off with the truck. And... Lori closes the gate and breaks the, the breaks controls. The, breaks the control panel on the big rock. Goes over to the uh, emergency fire axe, kicks that fucker in, takes it. And now, you know, Victor Victor has gone back to face the monster. She's finally decided to take a stand. After 20 years of living in fear, she's has this opportunity. She's going to end it all. And this is probably, if not, this is possibly my favorite moment, like, along with, like, the Jan Lee and Jamie Lee Curtis scene later, earlier on in the movie. But it's a one big crane shot where we see Michael come, uh, we see Lori come around the, the bend with the axe, and then it cranes up just to show her, like, how tiny it is and how big the rest of the environment is. And she just screams at the top of her lungs. Michael! Michael! And she's like, and the theme kicks in. And you're like, oh, she's, <laughs> she's going to kill him. She's going to fight. She's yeah. fighting to the end. She's and, taking a stand, and she's going to, this is going to be a fight to the death. Someone ain't walking out of here, folks. Two men enter, one men leave. Like, it's just Thunderdome Thunder at, at this point. And so she goes back into the school, going around all the, the hallways. and She, she goes back to like the general area they were before, right. I believe. And seems to be no trace of him, but apparently he was using his upper body strength and hiding in the... He was hanging from like a beam right above her and slowly like descended like, you know, one-handed pull up his way down, dropped you know, let go. And as soon as his feet hit the ground, like Lori could kind of sense he was there. I think that's why she slowed down a little or yeah. walked through the hallway. 
as soon as his feet hit the ground, she turned around, swung with that fucking axe, and hit him right in the shoulder. Right. He, you know, goes for a stab, slices her right down the arm like he did in the original. Right. At which point, you know, she runs away. He pulls the axe out of himself, ham- you know, throws it on the ground where it's a That's there. always the shot that always stuck out with me. Like the, ding with, with the axe being stuck in the ground. <laughs> she runs into a big area. It looked like a cafeteria, a lot of tables set up. Right. It's a very open area. She manages to hide underneath, so when Michael comes in, he cannot find her, but he knows she's in here. We have now a deadly game of cat and mouse. The interesting thing about this scene was that... This little set piece here... This little set piece here was actually originally in the Halloween 4 script. They didn't use it, because I think, I don't know if it was time or complications, but it was a whole thing where you have this row of, like, these big lunch tables set up that Jamie Lloyd was supposed to hide underneath (coughs) while Michael Myers was walking atop them, chasing after her. This wasn't used, but Mustafa Akkad remembered this scene and brought it, you know, brought the idea back up in the filming of this. Right, and so when, when Laurie thinks it's that Michael's gone, that she doesn't hear him anymore, and with the camera tilts up, we know the audience knows that he's above her. Yep. She's, she's rolling th- underneath from like table to table. Yeah, and then like Michael like swipes at her before she starts rolling. He swipes at her, and she's finally able to get away from it. And she he jumps down. And he starts flipping she, all the tables. She kicks a chair that was, like, held upside down on top of it off to give the idea that, like, oh, she's, she's going, going that, that way, way. But she's going the other way. And he and he, he distracted for a moment but then sees this and finally just has enough and just takes both tables on each side of him and just flips them up. Flips them up, you know, right. one after the other. She's now running out of places to hide. Yeah. Lori gets the end of it. Uh, gets up, grabs the the was it state of California flag that was sitting there. Yeah, and it, with the power of uh, of candy cornea, she impales him with she it. Impales him with it, you know, and it breaks off. And then she throws the freaking part that broke off at him. Like, yeah, uh, like is another like fuck like you. a javelin, it pretty much. Yeah, and, and, but it bounces off him, and he yanks it out of his chest and continues to chase. Lori goes into the kitchen where a lot of the scenes were taking place, and she was it the out, same kitchen area. I'm pretty it a sh- different one. It looked very similar because there was no trail of blood anymore. That's true. Continuity error. Oh, that could, been the, that could have been the first floor. All right, yeah. And she rips out a drawer of... Uh, Pulls a drawer full of knives out and just dumps them on the floor. Michael comes around the corner and she starts throwing them just desperately. Yep. And eventually Michael comes to swing down and she grabs the drawer and she uses it as a shield. As a shield. Like <laughs> Captain America style. You just see this knife go through it like an inch from her face. It's just like, holy shit. And knees him right in the balls. Which pisses him off. At which point he like hits her in the face with it, throws her down. She grabs two knives that are... One knife off the floor, one that was stuck in the wall, while he's busy trying to pull his knife out of the drawer. And continues going after her. pursuit. He gets down to a hallway area, looks around, can't really find her. Turns out she was hiding, like, out in a little balcony area, and the two of them have, like, a knife fight. She stabs him in the shoulder, he swings, misses, and at one point she just, boom, boom, one after the other, knife, 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 And she's sticking him, like, this little, like, stab wounds in the chest, and he's backing up, not realizing the fact that he's reaching the the other end of the balcony. And he goes, ass over tea kettle. Falls off the balcony into the last table that was standing in that lunchroom. And the crowd screams ECW at that point. Boom, Michael has gone through a table. It wasn't on fire, though. <laughs> yes, and there was no tax or there's no, there's no uh, uh, AIDS affected hyperdopic needles or nope. anything like that. So Lori goes back downstairs to where his body still is, pulls the knife out of his chest, raises it above her head to give him the final blow, and at which point it falls jump scare number uh, 420. It's she's, Ronnie. She's stopped by Ronnie, who it turns out the bullet just grazed his head. He's still alive. He's trying to stop her. He's dead. He's dead. He's dead. The two of them go away. We're in this scene with a, with a zooming out shot, bird's eye shot of Michael Myers laying there dead. The authorities have finally arrived. You know, coroner's office, everybody. 
<clears throat> Lori's all bandaged up. She sees him, you know, take Michael's body, put it into a body bag, load it up. She's not going to have it in this way. No. She decides to say it could have fucking in this way. No, because he's just going to escape yet yep. again. She walks over. She grabs the axe from before that the police have taken as evidence now. Grabs a cop's gun out of his holster. Holds up to him. Shit, don't move. Load him in. Loads him into the coroner's van. Yeah. Throws the axe and everything in the front seat, and she takes off with Michael Myers' body. Yeah. And so <clears> she's <throat> driving down the road at high speed. Just waiting for him to wake up, and like nothing's happening. Nothing's happening. And eventually. We, the audience, see it move at we first. See in, the, in the rearview mirror, we see the body bag, you know, moving. And then we finally see two hands come up through the zipper, open it up. Michael lunges forward at her, at which point she slams on the fucking brakes With and he goes feet. flying out the windshield. Yeah, and he goes flying through there. <laughs> There's no way that could be a paramedic whatsoever. No. And then he sits up. Sits up like the Undertaker. Yep. He gets up and... Who imitated that from Michael Myers first. Yes. And so... She's telling him, get up. Get up. Get up. So, like, get she down knows it's going he sits um, up, stands up, she, fl- you know, floors it, floors it, hits him, and they go tumbling down a fucking hill. And see the stunt of this van is going... Tumbling. Yeah. Like, tumble, tumble, tumble. And both of them are ejected from the vehicle. <coughs> um, and eventually Michael is lands against a tree branch. Like, a, down, da- like a big down tree. And eventually he's pinned. At the last second, he goes to turn around and climb over, but he, he doesn't make it. And the fucking coroner's van lands on his back. Yeah. Totally something a paramedic could survive. Right. So finally, he just like, you know, head down, like almost like passes out, like he's knocked out again. Lori somehow, by miracle, finds the axe and she didn't land on it. Right. She's fucking so lucky that that thing wasn't embedded in her when she got thrown from the fucking van. So yeah, she goes <coughs> over to investigate Michael and she and Michael's not moving and she screams his name and eventually that startles him. She like shouts it like a throw, like, Michael. 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 He sits up. Grabs his mask. Grabs his ma- like like his head and his hair. Like, oh my god, what is happening? Like, and she where am yell- I? Yells his attention one time. Michael. He looks at her, and I feel this is one of the scenes where being able to see his eyes is appropriate. Mm. He starts reaching out to her, and she like kind of like tearfully because she knows like this is my brother. You yeah, know? like all this is like despite everything. Despite everything, this is my family. He's reaching out to her. She kind of reaches out to him. Fingers almost touch, but you notice every time it cuts back to Michael, you look at his eyes, you almost see like a hint of like he's luring her into something. Right. Something's not right when I look at his eyes there. Mm-hmm. Lori reaches out, sadly, but all of a sudden just has like like she's jolted back to reality, like stops, pulls her hand, her hand away, checks her hand away, and just like that, swings with the fucking axe and Boom, beheads Michael Myers. And the crowd goes wild. <clears throat> I wish I was in the fucking movie theater for that. And finally, John Carpenter's version of the Halloween theme starts playing. The yeah. Original. You I see mean, Michael's head I, fucking roll. I wish I was there like at a midnight showing of that movie. Back I wish I was there for the first showing. Of and it. it's like everybody would have been like cheering <laughs> and whooping and hollering at that point. I'd have been losing my fucking marbles. And, and we're left on the last shot of Laurie Strode just there. Just angry look on her face. You hear police siren, and she's breathing like Michael Myers did. After, like, we do see his head tumble away, and he is dead. The last shot is just Lori there with this intense look on her face, breathing heavy like Michael And blood does. shooting at the top of his head, which I noticed this time around. Yep. I noticed that on the VHS. I never noticed it before. Cut to credits. The Halloween series has, has concluded. And, or do it, or did it? And we get you know John Carpenter's original theme playing, and then cut to a fucking Creed song. This was like Creed's first hit single, "What's His Life For," that put them on the map. Uh, before higher, for can you take me higher? Can you take me higher? There's no singing Creed in my house, sir. Okay. 
But yeah, like this, had I seen that in the theaters, that would have been the catharsis that I absolutely needed to get on with my fucking life. Like, holy shit, he's fucking dead. It took seven fucking movies, but this was the ending. This was the end. This was the proud ending that the Halloween series deserved. Yeah. Part of the reason why I, why I wanted to do this whole series of podcasts with you is just my love for the Halloween series, how I feel like even in its lowest points, it still maintained a degree of integrity where you could follow the shit one after the other. It didn't just go batshit out of nowhere. Well, what happened to that? When did this happen? How did that, you know, like the fucking Nightmare on Elm Street series where, okay, Freddy's back, but why? And how did he do this? And what did... What? Well, a dog, a hell dog pissed on him. <clears throat> that's what brought him back. Yeah, and what, the dream demons, what does that have to do with anything? Giant and, sperm. And how did he come back from the last one? You know, like, and, and where did the people that beat him the last time go? You know, there was always, there was always a sense of pretty much, pretty much until this point from six on, six to, into seven... You always had a real heavy degree of continuity where nothing, no loose ends were. Mm. And I always respected that, always loved it. It's part of why I love the Halloween series. And it got a, it, it got a happy ending. Yeah. It, it got a conclusive, conclusive ending. definitive ending that, you know, despite all the bullshit, despite all the production bullshit with this movie, I feel hand over fist, you know, things turned out fine in the end. Despite what complaints we have and whatever, it was a good, solid story. It was actually the shortest Halloween out of them all. It was only like an hour and 26 minutes. Yes, it is. Yeah. It goes by very, very quick when you watch it. But at the same time, there's no real fat. Even when you watch the TV scenes, it almost feels like you don't need this. No, it was unnecessary. Yeah. Like, I guess Will's backstory, I think it's like the only thing I would want to keep in. Well, there was only – when it comes to the TV scenes, which I, I guess we'll talk to now that the movie's over – um, back in 2003 or 2004, I want to lean towards 2004. It was aired on FX because I remember where I watched it. I was one of the houses I lived in, and I lived in that house either 2003, both 2003 and 2004. It aired on FX, and it was heavily censored, you know, for violence, swearing, whatnot. But there was about 15 minutes of new scenes added. Most of them are just like extended scenes that are already kind of there, just extended parts, you know, alternate takes, just stuff added. But there were really only like two actual scenes added. One was of Charlie and John, you know, walking through the town to go steal their champagne and talking about, you know, Charlie saying, oh, you're going to get some from Molly tonight and saying, oh, we're taking things slow. She's not like that. You know, she's not like Sarah. It, it was the boy talk, you know, yeah. and the other was Will's whole thing about his tr traumatic backstory. <coughs> Everything else was really just, you know, an extension of something that was already there. Right. So you're not missing much. These, I don't think these scenes have ever been released in any official form. No, it's like we watched them on YouTube. Yeah, a low quality form of them on YouTube, which like, yeah, they're interesting to have, and it's just like, it's like the movie does not need them. It's not like Halloween Two, where like the whole plot hole of why are the lights out in the hospital isn't there. You know. Yeah. You're not missing anything by losing this. No. But. I mean, Halloween H2O was a fucking resounding success. Most people have most people have really credited it with being the best one since the original. Right. I mean, like most people say, like, oh, I, like we'll say, like the best three of them in the franchise are like oh, it's one, two, and H2O. Like that's their solid trilogy, and they're fine with that. And I have no arguments for that. Like, yes, we've we've talking about our <coughs> our feelings on four, five, and six, even Halloween three. We have soft spots for all of them, but like I, I can understand why people say no, one, two, and H two O are their favorite. That's fine. It makes a concise trilogy too, right? Even though I do feel like the the twenty year gap is kind of like troubling to me, and the fact that like nothing happened in between this twenty years, yeah, we don't get anything, you know, and the and, and the loss of Donald Pleasance is huge. 
to me. That's one problem I feel going into this new Halloween is the fact that now it's a fucking 40-year gap, you know, of, right. of absolutely nothing. Yeah. And it's like you can't sit there and mean to tell me that, like, yeah, Michael's been locked up, but nothing's happened in these characters' lives that's worth seeing. Yeah, like maybe maybe we'll be explored. We don't know. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I like I, I I do still have extremely high hopes for this movie, especially with everything we've seen so far. But it just almost feels like is it too late to make this now? You know, forty years later with nothing happening in between. It's true. I mean, like, if they did like a prequel comic or like a or short that happened, like this, it's, like, it's, it's not like, the same. It's not the same. You want these these stories were birthed on film, and that is where they're, they're most prominent. Like, I'm thinking, like... Well, Anything when, else feels short. When Doctor Who was approaching their 50th anniversary a few years ago, they did, like... They brought back Paul McGann, who played the 8th Doctor, who was there for one TV movie. They brought him back for an, a webisode that would lead into the events that are explored in the 50th anniversary. Like, something like that, as, like, viral marketing, like, something that would be really creative and be... I think it would have been nice to see something like that coming but from Blumhouse. But what can you do over you know over the course of forty years when your actors maybe, aren't the same and dead? Some of them. I don't know, well. like maybe what Michael's life was like after, um, well, while he was in the institution, or no, Doctor Loomis. I know, no Doctor Loomis, or he's such an important ingredient. Because presumably he had been captured somehow at the end of the first Halloween. Yeah, like maybe we show that. I don't know. Anyway, so um. Do you have a favorite moment of H2O? The fucking ending. The, the Michael Myers getting killed. That was that was the cinematic catharsis I needed. I felt it was an amazing end to an amazing story. Even if even if somehow in your own mind you do bullshit yourself and say that four, five, six have happened, this is like, you know, the first victim gets the ultimate payback. Where, as you've seen, Michael gets stronger over all these movies and more vicious. The one person that was always able to, you know, stop him dead in his tracks has always been like the first victim, you know, his sister. Yeah. Where the bloodline was the strongest. So that's what I always found interesting. I, I see an evolution in all these. It saddens me that, you know, you can't count four, five, and six in the continuity. I'm still going to bullshit myself as best as I can, even though I've public, publicly admitted it's not feasible. I don't care because I love the way they all flow together. Whatever I marathon these things. Mm -hmm. And it, it just, it, it feels appropriate. Everything about it, it feels, once again, to use that word, cathartic. It feels very cathartic that everything all these characters have been through, now finally there's a payback. Now finally there's justice, you know? Right. That this vicious killer has finally been put down by the first person, by the person that started, well, not really because it started with his sister Judith, but, you know, one of the first people it started with yeah. is, how, is how it ends. And I mentioned before my two favorite moments are obviously the moment between Jamie Lee Curtis and Jan Lee, and then when when Jamie Lee Curtis is going after Michael for the first time. Um, your feelings of Steve Miner's direction here of this movie compared to like, the Friday the 13 movies and um, Joe Chappelle of Halloween 6. May I say that last thing? Yeah, I was coughing. And your feelings <laughs> of Steve Miner versus Joe Chappelle. Oh, fucking Steve Miner. I'll take a fucking million times over Joe Chappelle just because of what he did to fucking the movie with his fucking jump cut crazy screaming reverse reverb flashing epilepsy bullshit <laughs> and, and cutting of dr loomis now steve meyer's a horror veteran um honest to god at this point i feel like a lot of like 90s horror movies were kind of kind of shot the same way mm -hmm. there's kind of like a look and feel to movies of a certain era i yeah. feel i feel that was in it i felt that minor's direction didn't add or subtract anything to it right i love the attempts at continuity they kept when it comes to visuals mm -hmm. with the original two movies, 
I mean, positive things all around, you know? I just kind of wish everyone would have chilled when it came to things like masks and scores. I wish Alan Howarth would have came back. I wish somehow John Carpenter came back, even if he didn't direct, you know? If he did the score. And, and honest to God, all these things I'm sitting here saying, we're getting right now with the with this upcoming movie. Right. So it's like I got my wish eventually. Yeah. <laughs> but just the, the journey we had been on over the over that previous 20 years over the first 20 years it would have been it would have felt more appropriate to have all those things then but it's so great to have them now you know mm-hmm. um yeah it's I, like having your cake then and then having it again later right it's still delicious yes and i still think steve minor is a is a fine craftsman for the kinds of this movie like the annoying false jump scares Aside, I think like the fact that yeah, a lot of his movies shot on the steady cam. A lot of it is like the shots are moving and everything, and he's moving the characters around the frame. It's not like let's just stand here and talk, and we just shoot over the shoulders constantly. And I, I have a great admiration of being able to do fine blocking, and like it's the blocking is decent here, but like able to invoke some energy throughout this movie, like because this movie flies by. Yes, it's eighty six minutes long, but. I think the pace itself is... Like, oh, yeah. Like, just no, no pacing problems whatsoever. You're surprised it's done already, almost. Yeah. Like, wow, that didn't feel its length. But I think it's also a good thing, a good sign of a good story that you want yeah. more. They got to the point when it yeah. came down to it. I mean, it, it was a huge success. It made $55 million to a $17 million budget. Which is... Yeah, it was like, <laughs> that's $2 million more budget-wise to Scream. Um, I still think Wes Craven's the better director, and I think Scream is a little, stands out more. But I think because that's a more original take on slasher movies. But it does have a fifty-one percent, you know, approval on Rotten Tomatoes. But, yeah, but at the same time, you know, for seriously, for the seventh film in a fucking series to to bring it back to life like that, you know, that's a, that's admirable. Yeah. And uh, what about home media? Um. Well, here's where things get a little tougher. You know. Um. Obviously, it got its VHS release. You know, all all things status quo there with VHS back in the day. However, it got Lizardist, didn't it? I don't know if it actually did. Tell didn't you we truth. look this up? We were doing up like how many Lizardist searches one night. Yeah, it might have actually been. I th- well, if it was, it was definitely the last Halloween film released on Laserdisc. Yeah, because I think, I think like, the last one of the big major movies released on Laserdisc <laughs> was The Phantom Menace. As for DVD, though, it got a pretty standard release that stayed its way throughout the entire span of DVD. If you're watching it on an old 4x3 TV, you got no problems. However, it does say enhanced for 16x9 televisions. Unfortunately, it is not. It is letterboxed. So, Explain to some people who may not know that. Basically, what that means is that when you have a movie that is in some form of widescreen aspect ratio, if you're watching it on a 4x3 television, you're going to get black bars on the top and bottom. Even if you're watching it on a standard 16x9 television, depending on the aspect ratio, if it's a 235 movie like it is in this one, you're still going to get black bars. They just won't be as big. Right. The problem is that if it is letterboxed widescreen, that is usually something they would release for 4x3 televisions if you wanted to watch it in its original aspect ratio. Yes. So you would get gigantic black bars on the top and bottom. When it's formatted like that, the DVD is telling the DVD player it's really a 4x3 t- uh, signal coming in, coming through. So what happens then is that you get black bars on all four sides because yeah. you're putting a 4x3 signal into a 16x9 television. It's telling the television it's 4x3 when it really isn't. Mm. So unfortunately, your only option there is to you know use the zoom feature on your TV, which, which stretches out the picture and... Degrades the image. Degrades the image. It's not that great. So DVD, we never really got... A complete release. Um, Halloween, 
H2O was released on Blu-ray for the first time in 2011 by the wonderful Echo Bridge Entertainment. <laughs> um, <clears throat> I don't know how... When it comes to this release, it's one of those things where, like, you meet a person and you say, I don't know how this person could fuck things up more than they actually do, <laughs> and somehow they do. This is the equivalent of that. Not only was it not released with a uh, surround sound audio, it was released in fucking, like, Dolby 2.0. I don't even think it was uncompressed. But it was not in 235 two, aspect ratio. It was fucking released open matte in 178. Which is which is the equivalent of sixteen by nine. Yeah. So I mean, and from what I read on Blu-ray.com, the review, the video transfer fucking blew. It wasn't really all that good. Thankfully, though, when the Halloween Complete Collection Blu-ray box set came out, a brand new transfer with five proper five point one audio surround sound. You know, DT. I believe it was DTS and the two a two point mix. If you don't have surround sound. With improper 235 aspect ratio was released. It looked fin- phenomenal. The only thing that sucks, though, is that there isn't a standalone release of this. you got to get either the 15-disc box set, which is discontinued, or the 10-disc box set, which is still there. So your options for watching Halloween H2 are a little bit limited. You could probably find it. I- I've seen it on Netflix, so it does come around streaming streaming media quite a bit. Yeah, so watch the skies and keep your eyes open for that. But like- On Amazon Instant Video, you could probably buy a digital copy. Yeah. But like we were huge fans of the Shout Factory 15 disc collection, so if you try and find uh, a decent price on, I say go for that. Yeah, I don't even know what that goes for anymore. Is it even worth looking into? I'm not sure. I mean, we both have it, so we're we're good. Yeah. Uh, final thoughts. Um, Halloween H2O is a fucking phenomenal end to a series that had a lot of ups and downs. It's a great ending. It's an appropriate ending. And thank God nothing else came after this. So next month, we're going to dive right into Rob Zombie's remake. Um, just when you think that, there's more. The doctor gives me these pills to make Halloween Resurrection go away. <laughs> I'm taking Tim's up. making them not work anymore. <laughs> I'm going to kill him. I'll burn Michael Myers. You don't get it? You don't get it? Your shit ain't working up there? Oh, God. Next week. Next week. Next month. Next Next month. Trick or treat, motherfucker! Next month we have to review the fucking cinematic just the cinematic equivalent of just watching money fucking burn on screen. Halloween resurrection. We have to watch what it's like when when someone hates their audience that much. This is like modern wrestling. Like <laughs> W is, Halloween resurrection is like watching WWE nowadays. I can see that. That's a that's a proper comparison. We, need, we basically next month we get to review a product. We get to we get to review a film product. From, yeah. from from the from the franchise of uh, known as Halloween. If only Shade Douglas was in this. Fuck. <laughs> Fuck. I hate my life. But if I if I make it to the next one, Jesus, don't talk like that. So I don't know if I want to make it to the. Next. <laughs> Please don't talk like Fuck. that. So Fuck. come back next month as we Fuck. talk as we continue to talk about Halloween. My God. <laughs> If you want to follow me on social media, you can follow me on Twitter at <coughs> Timothy Rooney 2, my Instagram at TRooney1012. Resurrection, YouTube, he was better off dead. <laughs> my YouTube page, Two Lunch Productions, where my short film, uh, Thanks for the Ride, is up. I want to say, Mike, thank you. Thank you for taking time and United to talk about H2O. Uh, and you're going to do Resurrection too, you're going to like it, baby! Yeah! I need booze. 
And on that note, come back next time as we continue to talk about geek and pop culture. We'll, we'll speak to you soon. Don't come back for your own good. Yeah! Resurrection! Let's do it! Come on, baby! Let's do it!